the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The biggest pop culture movement since the Beatles, $22.5 billion at the box office, and we found the one guy who doesn't have a clue what we're talking about. With two fellow MCU nerds to help guide his hand along the way, one thing is for certain, we're with him until the end of the line. Welcome to Colin Brain versus the MCU. On your left. Hello everyone and welcome to your favourite podcast designed for your ear holes. This week we are flying to the wonderful city of Wakanda as we watch Ryan Coogler's Black Panther. Before we get into the swing of things, I have to of course introduce you folks at home to my two lovely co-hosts. Firstly, he scars himself every time he makes a bad pun or jingle, but he looks nowhere near as cool as Michael B. Jordan. He instead looks like he's just covered in bubble wrap. It's our very own jingle monger himself. It's Robert Trot. Rob, say hello. Hello. I like the jingle monger. You clawed it back. I was offended, but now i Clawed it back? Yeah. I like that too. Off to a good start, boys. Oh. Colin says as he's shaking his head. No, I was taking a drink. (laughs) Okay. Next up is the main man himself. A bearded man originating from the Norfolk tribe, where unfortunately everyone's family tree is a straight line. Not Colin's, obviously, before he shouts at me. It's Colin Brain. Colin, say hello. 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 How are we both? (laughs) Not bad, man. I love how unamused that hello was. Yeah, yeah. I'm not not even going to pander to it, man. Just let him get on with it. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) We're we're here again. He's at it again. (laughs) To be fair, you're normally kind to me. so I try to be. I appreciate that. Yeah, you're no normally worries. an absolute dickmonger to me. Yeah. <laughs> so, Colin, you said you had a busy week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, literally, I only just managed to get this film watched a matter of, like, a couple of hours ago. Cause, uh, yeah, I know there was a bit of a mad rush over the text this well, morning. Yeah. You'd be like, I don't think I've got time to watch well, this. Well, it's just because I, I, I've had time set aside this week on multiple occasions, but every day is just scheduling has been, like, one minute a session has been moved around, and it's just been one of those things where, like, mm. it's been a busy one, but I got it done. Although it's, like, incredibly fresh to the point that I don't know if I've really taking it all it, yes. in i've got i've got thoughts and opinions of course but um yeah. we'll get into it yes very much uh looking forward to that rob how's your week been i found this last week this uh, we do this all the time where we we date things <laughs> as to oh, when yeah. we're recording them but we're kind of catching up now so we're not too far behind where we're recording to when we release these yeah, but it's been a bit of a tough time to be cheerful in the UK, hasn't it, this last week? It's been relentless. Well, this is the week that the Queen has died, in, if we want to date that for everyone. Yeah. And yes, it's been a very odd week. I don't think any of us are, are royalists themselves, shall we no. say, so uh, we won't really get into that. But um, it definitely has been a very odd week. What's it like in London at the moment, Colin? I mean, if you don't look on a screen, it's fine. It's just yeah. like normal. Um, but if you look at a screen, it's definitely not normal. I, I'm, well, we want you to avoid all screens for this exactly, podcast yeah, anyway. So, so. <laughs> like George said, like opinions on, on the royals aside, it just sort of feels a bit like relentless in it's everywhere. Like you look on a screen, 
the news of it is everywhere. Well, it's yeah, it's, it's sort of. I think um, I just need a break from the news. I just need a mm. like, cause the, it's just a bit dreary. Everything else other than the news, lovely. But, uh, but to be fair, mate, that's that's the general consensus for me for probably the last five or ten years, which is just <laughs> stay away from the news because it's misery and actually life ain't as bad as... Uh, Unless it's yeah. Marvel news. Yes. Well, which I have to we stay have away from that as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so before we jump into our usual antics, I actually have a question oh. from a listener. Yes, I love this. Um, they want to know a little bit more about us. So Nathan asks if any of us are gamers... Hmm. And what was the last game we played? Um, So he recently got round to completing Ghost of Tsushima. He says it's a stunning game that he highly recommends. Now, I'll ask you first, Rob, as I noticed you liked that tweet earlier on when it came in. So that gave you more time to prepare than Mr. Brain. Okay, I've got got a bit of time. I've got some time. (laughs) So, Rob, um, are you a gamer? And what was the last game you played? I am definitely a gamer. Over the years, more into like handheld stuff always loved like game boy i'm a massive nintendo fan but generally like retro games platformers indie gaming that kind of stuff more than the sort of big titles so the last i'm currently playing which is technically the last game i've played because i haven't finished it but i'm currently playing a game called ukulele and the impossible lair which very very cool made by the people who um it's made by a team called Playtonic, who like split from. They're like kind of the original developers that left a company called Rare, who like made loads of games for like N sixty four era, um, and they like made Banjo Kazooie and things. They made like a spiritual successor, but the Impossible Lair is amazing. Um, and before that, I played a game called The Messenger, which I thoroughly recommend if people haven't Ooh. played it. You like okay. this. Um, Sort of like it's sort of like a ninja platformer, but a bit like Metroid in a way. But like you jump between two different time zones, and when it's in the past, you it looks like a old NES game, and when you're in the future, it looks like a sort of Super Nintendo or Mega nice. Drive game. Oh. I like that. It's really Very cool. Clever. I really really I like recommend that. it. Cool. Well, I I used to be like really into video games. I'll still play the odd game when it comes out. But I have to be like really excited um, to get a game on its opening day. I think the last time I was really excited about a game was maybe The Last of Us Part 2. That I thought was like a stunner of a game. But the last game I played was about two nights ago, maybe three nights ago. And it was a free game on like the PlayStation Plus deal they sort of have. Mm. Um, but they only tend to release games on PlayStation Plus that have got like really high like critic ratings. So they're not just throwing out any old yeah, rubbish yeah. to you. And it was a game called Toem. T-O-E-M. Oh, I've heard of this. Um, yeah. And I've kind of fallen in love with it a little bit. Um, it's sort of like this platformy sort of puzzle game where you take a trip and you go to various different locations really like uh, there's a forest different like small towns mountains uh, seaside resorts and things like that but you're you're an amateur photographer and you get a list of about 18 19 different things in each level that you have to take a photograph of but because it's a puzzle game all of the things that you have to take all, all the things on your list are really vague and almost like riddles mm. so 
it's, it's you have to really kind of use your brain and think outside the box a little bit. I'm having a lot of fun with it. I'm just so busy at the moment. It's just that game is just what I need, really, because I can just turn on a PlayStation, play it for just five, ten minutes tops, nice. and and I'm asleep. But I'm really enjoying it. And and considering it's all black and white, very cartoony, very platformy, it's also stunning to look at as well. Um, so yeah, Toem, I, uh, I I recommend that. It's been a lot of fun. So what about you, Colin? Yeah, I mean, am, am I a gamer? Probably wouldn't consider myself a gamer these days. Um, just purely a time thing. I'm mm. just about class. I'd probably put myself in a casual gamer if I was to put it on any. I grew up on games, so like, I, you know, sort of PlayStation One was the first console I really got into. Yeah. I remember, I remember watching my sister play on a Super Nintendo before that, but I was a bit too young, really. Um, so PS1 was my start with like you know things like Crash Bandicoot and Tekken 2 and stuff like that yes obviously GTA I was playing that way too young like the original one <laughs> I mean, my, my dad got it from a trip back from Germany for work once and he came back with GTA 2 and I'm like fuck yeah GTA um, so, so yeah and then PS2 for me is still the all time console it's like the back catalogue on that console lives on now um, I could yeah. list off hundreds of games and such a like so much of our friendship group and sort of teenage years was based around just all getting together and uh yeah. playing video games together and yeah lots of nostalgia for the for a bunch of titles which i'm sure most people would know like things like need for speed underground 2 silent hill you know metal mm. gear solid those metal gear solid was a bit and to, to be fair even like you know a good session on fifa doesn't go down a, a miss even though i'm not mm. really into football but but these days i've got a ps3 at, uh ps4 at the moment i'm i'm Still waiting for that one release on the five to make me pull the trigger, but just played through the last game I played through on the PS4 would have been the God of War they did, like the more, mm. uh, you know, the, the more cinematic. It's just called God of War again. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, away from the kind of hack and slash of the previous releases. And to be fair, that was fucking mind blowing. Mm. I mean, You've seen the trailer for Ragnarok? I haven't because as soon as I see Ragnarok, I'm thinking well, I probably shouldn't look into that because there might be some fucking <laughs> links between the Thor world and all that shit. But Jeff um, Goldblum and the Hulk. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I say that and a little jump over to the Nintendo world, which I didn't grow up on, but we seem to bring this guy up a lot at the moment, but Daniel Clay, one of our close friends, <laughs> the legend of Daniel Clay, um, he, whenever he pops over to see me in London, he brings over his Switch. And um, so we've, we're kind of playing through a handful of games that we just kind of, he comes over, we, we, play, you know, we play through some bits and then we won't play through it again until he comes back over again. It's like a nice yeah. little social that we have when he comes over. And we've been playing through paper mario the origami king and my Ooh, god a paper mario. that game is a lot of fun and you might giggle at the fact it's it's a paper mario game but quite a good storyline actually like quite <laughs> a quite a kind of um a layered storyline and, and the the visuals behind it and the and the mechanics they've used and how they lean on the sort of origami side and you mm. know he's made out of paper i think like creatively it's a it's fantastic so yeah, man. Nice. I mean, I don't know if that answers the question, but... I think yeah. that should settle things, Nathan. Thank you Nathan. for the question. Yeah, legend. Yeah, Colin, are you still spoiler-free? Uh, let's have a think. I think so. I did see after the at the end of Black Panther today, mm. at the end of the credits... I was meant to warn you about this. A yeah. sort of a screenshot came up of Avengers, and it was, it was like a face-to-face of... Uh, 
old uh, what's his name purple bitch um <laughs> thanos thanos and iron man or i yeah. think it was anyway so i mean that's not really a spoiler <laughs> i but... think you knew that was coming oh yeah yeah so is that no, the next one it, mate we... is that is that one? <laughs> um but and we also i think explain whether that's the next one shortly i i i don't know if this is a film or a tv show but i did see something called she hulk she hulk interesting which which yeah is interesting actually but i'm not sure if it's a show or a movie but i i get the impression that that's either coming out soon or it's come out recently because hmm. where did i see it now i don't know if it was i can't remember where maybe, i've seen it but it, maybe it's pop- in your imagination oh, i think so I don't really think much of my imagination ever ends up in the MCU, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is many, many, many miles away from the MCU whenever I'm thinking. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, so there actually was a, another sort of Marvel presentation the other day. You mentioned some, last time you were over, yeah, there was a Disney yeah, thing, right? it was D23, yeah. And something else was announced. Um, oh. I think it had already previously been announced, but we got a trailer and um, by the looks of things, it seemed to be, to, to me, only by the trailer, that it's like a one-off that maybe doesn't even have a connection to the rest of the MCU. I loved the look of it. Movie? Um, and I, uh, no, a one-off special. Oh, just like a TV this, special or something? Yeah, and it's not even going to be a TV show. It's going to be a one-off special. Oh. And it's going to be put out around Halloween, so that might tell you oh. what sort of genre it is. Okay. And... I thought, well, seeing if it doesn't have any connections to the MCU, mm-hmm. maybe I put it out there to our Twitter fans. I said, maybe we should get Colin to watch it and we'll do a Halloween special. And Ooh. the people have spoken, Colin, and it I don't was know a resounding. How I feel about this, though. Well, it was a resounding no, make him fucking wait. Yes. Ah. <laughs> To be fair, yes. I, th- I think I kind of agree just because you don't know. There might be, like, you've only seen a trailer. Like, there might yeah. be. From the trailer, I, I personally, I voted no, make him wait because. <laughs> I can't believe you I think voted. there's some things, some of the things that are mentioned in that trailer, and some of the things I know around the comic mm. base. So there could be some connections. I wouldn't rule it out, no. So, mm. well, to be fair, the rate we're going, it'll probably be next Halloween. We're around to it, so we'll do it. A year Interestingly, later. it's uh, directed by George's mate, Michael Giacchino, the composer of mm. Doctor Strange. His directorial debut is directing this. Interesting. Um, is Colin, it Doctor Strange? I, is it? No, nope, oh, no, wait, you nope, wouldn't be, would it? Okay. Nothing. Nope. Um, Colin, <laughs> nope, I really nope. hate. I really nope, hate nope. to do this in front of you, but um, I'm sure everyone else knows what we're talking about. Rob, did you like the look of it? I did, yeah, thoroughly. It looks very interesting. Yeah, both trailers that we got for oh, yeah. Um, oh, were, were yeah, delightful. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, right, shall we big jump news, into... Though, was it? Was there big reveals on this one? Not as big as people no. was expecting. Um, it's weird because the... I saw something about... Because it was a Disney thing, wasn't it? It wasn't just Marvel. Because yes. I remember yeah. th- I, I did see something that Disney had released. It wasn't... It yeah, they did MCU. a whole bunch of new Disney films. Strange that I saw that pop up on my feed, but nothing to do with MCU. Not complaining, but... Definitely not. No. Do you want to mention my name, George? Of oh, course, sure. I haven't yes. even looked. Hold on. I've, I've had a look. <laughs> so, um, Rob, what is your Zoom nickname this week? Well, you know me, George. Hey, I'm yes. a classy man. Yeah. Colin's beginning to, I'm to learn how classy I am the more we do these. He caught on to that after episode one. <laughs> so, yeah, this week, class. 
I thought, who, who, I like to sometimes, if a character's not going to come back, I like to do a sort of like a send off for them. So this week I went for Wanking Claw. Brilliant. Yes. There's a little reference to The Office as well as Andy Serkis. <laughs> Keeping it classy as always. I appreciate that. And I, I still can't believe that people get angry at me over the internet anytime I forget to ask you. That's why I reminded you, because I just didn't want you to get the hate. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, 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 I like that a lot. Give him so, all the hate. He deserves all the hate. Fantastic. <laughs> Shall we jump into the background of Black Panther and how it came to be and then maybe discuss what you thought of it, Colin? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. So far, so good. Skip the compliments. Let's get on with it. So... Uh, plans for a Black Panther movie was around well before Marvel Studios was actually a thing. The closest it came uh, w- was throughout the 90s with Wesley Snipes attached to the lead role. And him himself and some producers were actually shopping the movie around to various distributors for a few years, actually. And obviously it never came to fruition. Now, when the MCU was actually started and Marvel Studios uh, existed, it was always a hope that maybe one day they would get to Black Panther. And they even told Wesley Snipes, because they knew how much he uh, wanted to have that role, that they would be in touch when that day came. Uh, Unfortunately, Mr. Snipes did fail to file a tax return and spent a couple of years in prison. And so that his involvement quickly vanished. Uh, Bless him. He is out now Um, and actually still back in movies and doing incredibly well. Uh, I've seen him be been amazing in some recent roles. Um, So whilst phase one was being developed, Marvel actually got to work on a Black Panther movie. They, they started negotiations and creative discussions with uh, a guy called John Singleton. He previously directed um, like films like Boys in the Hood and Shaft with Samuel L. Jackson. Unfortunately, Marvel and John Singleton couldn't quite agree or even both fully realise what Wakanda was to look like. And since they couldn't really come up with a firm idea between themselves, they decided to hold off until a distinct vision was in place. Now, of course, once Civil War came to filming, Marvel had, you know, they decided to bite the bullet and introduce T'Challa and have Wakanda mentioned. Now, I'm sure we discussed this in a previous episode, but Marvel still didn't quite know what Wakanda was going to look like. So in the post credit scene of Civil War, when we see Steve Rogers uh, leave Bucky in the hands of the Wakandans, we look out of the window and Wakanda is completely like enveloped in fog. This forced like a PS1 game. It did look very much like a PS1 game. Uh, This forced Marvel's hand in now having to, you know, they had to get a Black Panther movie made now. And since they themselves set it up, they also had to allow whatever filmmaker that came on board to create their own vision for the city. So in October 2015, after many meetings and discussions, uh, there was three potential directors attached. One being Ava DuVernay, who had just directed Selma. I think that got nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars, so she was in in quite high demand. Got F. Gary Gray, who had just completed Straight Out of Compton. Uh, That is the most English way I've just said that. Did I say Straight Out of Compton? You did. (laughs) Straight Out of Compton? Straight Out of Compton? Um, Straight Out of Compton. There we go. And also Ryan Coogler, who had made the independent film uh, Fruitvale Station before being given Creed, uh, the Rocky Balboa spin-off movie, which is incredible, by the way. That's great. 
it was uh, Ryan Cougar, obviously, that eventually got the job. And Cougar wasted no time in making Black Panther his movie. So traditionally, Marvel Studios have lots of, I guess, in-house members of crew and members of production. This is often a criticism that people kind of give to Marvel Studios. They they say that maybe by having the the same production designers, you know, costume designers, cinematographers, that maybe some MCU movies tend to look and feel the same a little bit. Ryan Coogler went to Kevin Feige and asked for full creative control with who he brings onto the film, and Feige immediately agreed. So Coogler brought on Rachel Morrison as his cinematographer, who worked with him on Fruitvale Station. He brought on Hannah Beechler, who worked with him on Creed. Yes. I recognise that name because the audio commentary was a delight and it was um, done by Ryan Coogler and said production designer Hannah Beechler. Awesome. How was the uh, the commentary? A, a delight, like you said. Um, it was a delight. Of, are we going to get lots of informative facts today? Yeah, I don't know how often I'm going to be blowing my trumpet, <laughs> but um, it was very interesting and it definitely gave me um, sort of an, a different look on the film and, and sort of being able to see why creative choices were done. And we'll get, awesome. we'll get into them, don't worry. Nice. Uh, he also brought on costume designer Ruth Carter, who was also the costume designer on one of his favourite films, Malcolm X. And he brought in uh, Ludwig uh, Goransson, uh, the composer from Creed. This entire bunch, all those people I just named, had never been anywhere near a Marvel movie before. And spoilers for the end of this discussion, every single one of them, every single one of them then went on to get an Oscar nomination in their recognised fields. I got goosebumps just saying that. Um, Because not only were they nominated, but Hannah Beachler, Ruth Carter and uh, Ludwig Goransson ended up winning those Oscars too. It's also worth noting that despite Rachel Morrison not winning the Oscar for Best Cinematography, she was actually the first ever woman nominated for that category. So special stuff all round. And now I say this every week, luckily. You know, it makes a change from the first 10 or so episodes of this podcast, but the shoot was drama-free. Black Panther was released worldwide in February 2018, and it achieved a worldwide box office of $1.3 billion worldwide. The only films in the MCU that kind of hit over a billion are the Avengers movies. It became the highest grossing film of 2018 in the United States. And small spoilers, we've kind of hinted at it already. An Avengers movie was released that same year. But yes, in the United States, the Black Panther took more money than an Avengers movie. That shows just how massive this thing was. And yes, Colin, I kind of you've you've mentioned in the past that awards and various things like that and nominations um, don't really mean anything to you, but it meant everything to Marvel Studios and to Ryan Coogler. You know, many people when like The Dark Knight came out, for example, they just assumed it wasn't even up for debate that this was going to be the first superhero film to get a Best Picture nomination, and it didn't. It didn't get a nomination. So Black Panther became the first superhero film to get that particular nomination. And uh, it's just it's gone down in history because of that. Now, I guess we really should turn and discuss maybe the um, horrible events that took place uh, after the release of this film. 
unfortunately, after Civil War was filmed and before Black Panther was shot, so that little in-between period, uh, Chadwick Boseman was diagnosed with colon cancer. Uh, He never once spoke publicly about his illness and he only told a handful uh, of his own family members. Now, whilst shooting various projects and different films, he started chemotherapy and then unfortunately had to go on and have multiple surgeries as well. And um, what a testament to the man that he was going through all of this and not one of his co-stars ever had any suspicions, nor did he halt any productions, which he had every right to. And he turned up to set every day and just gave 100%. And devastatingly, on August 28th, uh, 2020 um surrounded by his wife um and family who were by his side uh chadwick boseman passed away um on the day of his death and for a few days after as well uh the flags on every government building in south carolina the state where chadwick uh, was born and raised lowered all of their flags to half mast statues were uh, erected all over america in his memory uh, even though the film was still relatively new, the uh, the channel ABC in America played an advert-free version of Black Panther. Um, on the night of Chadwick's death as well, Kevin Feige released a statement saying, Chadwick's death is absolutely devastating. Each time he stepped on set, he radiated charisma and joy. And each time he appeared on screen, he created something truly indelible. Now he takes his place as an icon for the ages. Not a nice end to that, uh, but I'm sure we were expecting to that to crop up. Uh, but now yeah. things could get really awkward as we ask Colin the question that puts uh, butterflies in my stomach every time <laughs> I ask it. It's not healthy how invested I am in this podcast. No, it really isn't. No, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Colin. Yes. Black Panther. Uh-huh. What did you think? I think had some incredible performances from a, a handful of the guys in it and girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were some really nice moments. I think visually it had some great moments. Mm-hmm. I didn't love it, which okay. to be fair, I was expecting to love this one mm. because of, I mean, out of all of the films, even before we started this podcast, I obviously had heard about Black Panther. Yeah. Never heard about, the film itself but obviously mm-hmm. you know with everything you've just spoken about and yeah. chadwick boseman it's place and, in history as well and yeah yeah exactly um and so for all those reasons um it even got through to me a guy that didn't know anything about the mcu um mm. and also like from from chadwick boseman popping up in civil war mm-hmm. that was like a big like holy shit this guy is just yeah like on screen he's just amazing you know like he's blowing all these other dudes out of the water and mm. um so I think like expectations for me were really, really high and I was kind of going into this one wanting to love it with every part of my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just just think there were certain choices that I didn't really enjoy and, and there were moments of it that were kind of felt like it had fallen back into just another sort of MCU film. Um, yep. Mm-hmm. And I say that obviously all of this I say with respect because of what you were just talking about. Of um, course, yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, we are doing a. a I'm, we I'm have reviewing. To, we have to be objective. Yeah. Yeah. On. I mean, I, I'm reviewing it as a movie and how I see it fitting in amongst what we've been reviewing, and uh, that's and that's how I'll be reviewing it going forward. So yeah, it was. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, man, I think like 
there was probably a bit of level of disappointment by the end of it, just because mm-hmm. I did go into it with such like, yeah, we'll get into it. Sure. Yeah, we'll get into it. Um, Rob, how was it visiting uh, Wakanda? Is Black Panther higher on the like the rewatch list for you? I don't think I rank it higher than I have previously in watching it. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time since I've seen it, actually, and it's the first time I've watched it since you know, Chadwick Boseman has passed away, which gave it a different mm. a different feel, definitely. The, um, um, the Blu-ray that you've got, would that be post his death, or is that pre? pre? Okay, so it's not, yeah. all right, yeah. Um, so yeah, there was no talk of that or anything. It was. Just, I can imagine um, that would be an emotional one if they did a, an audio yeah. commentary now. Jeez. Yeah. It was. Um, yeah, I enjoyed rewatching it. Good. I we both know I absolutely love the MCU. I love you know how all these films and all the characters sort of interweave between each other. It ticks a lot of nerd boxes for me. <laughs> um, I love dipping in and out of this whole world. Um, but there's something that is really refreshing about Black Panther, I think. I think in terms of how it looks, its tone, its heart as well, its representation, which is massive in this film, the score, uh, the performances, its villain, I think just everything I really like. And I think this was a bit of a, a major kick up the arse for the MCU itself because... You know, much like films like, I think, Civil War, this created a new benchmark, at least to me anyway. And it kind of forced other filmmakers to feel like they needed to up their game a little bit. And, you know, also to Kevin Feige himself. Maybe I think this helped him realise just how important representation and and diversity was. Um, That box office definitely proved Mm. that. And it changed the industry in a lot of ways, too. So, yeah, uh, I'm very much looking forward to doing a little deep dive into this and, and getting into specifics as to maybe that's your thoughts behind this, Colin, and, and yourself as uh, as well, Rob. So are we ready for a deep dive? Shall we put our nerd hats on? Let's do it. I'm putting my hat on now, mister. Good. Uh, so thousands of years ago, five African tribes war over a meteorite containing the metal vibranium. One warrior ingests a heart-shaped herb affected by the metal and gains superhuman abilities, becoming the first Black Panther. He unites all but the Jabari tribe to form the nation of Wakanda, and over centuries the Wakandans used the vibranium to develop advanced technology and isolate themselves from the world by posing as a third world country. So we get quite an extended opening to this film using, I guess, like grains of vibranium um, to explain the history of Wakanda. Now, a lot of comic book fans, some comic book fans, went into this film knowing quite a bit of this information already. But it's obviously important for Marvel to get this info and this, this history across. Colin, was it effective in getting all this important information across in such a short space? A span of time or was it just this massive deluge of information that you struggled to kind of keep up with yeah no i i didn't i, I followed this perfectly fine i thought visually it looked really really cool and it was a nice sort of it set the table nice uh set the table set the tone nicely um you know for for the film and it was definitely needed for someone like me because I had no idea of, you know, the history or the entirely or designed for people like you. Yeah so. exactly exactly so it was nice Good. Uh, Rob, was it clumsy exposition or effective world building? I think it was not only effective world building, but also great character work as well because of the fact that it's um, Killmonger's dad who's telling the story. Mm. It's his 
telling of what Wakanda's history is to his young son, which thematically we come back to, you know, much later in the film. Yep. And it's not obviously immediately clear that that's who is telling, you know, that's what's happening, is that Mm -hmm. it's a father telling his son about, you know, his ancestral homeland and and its history and sharing that wisdom. Um, But I think when you know that, it adds another level Mm. to what really is just like, I mean, in a Thor film, this would just be Anthony Hopkins going, we fought the frost giants (laughs) and there were some stones um, and that'd be it. Um, but this sort of, you know, it served a double purpose, which I always like. Mm, I love that. So in 1992, Wakanda King T'Chaka visits his brother Njobu, who was working undercover in Oakland, California. T'Chaka accuses Njobu of assisting black market arms dealer Wanking Claw, no, sorry, Ulysses Claw, <laughs> with stealing vibranium from Wakanda. Njobu's partner reveals that he is Zuri, another undercover Wakandan, and confirms T'Chaka's suspicions. So, Colin, obviously in the background of the film mentioned earlier on, Mm. I said that obviously Ryan Coogler wanted to make a film that was clearly his own, whilst also, you know, embracing the MCU. Mm. You've kind of already hinted at it a little bit, but wouldn't mind digging into it a little bit more. So, does this film feel different to other films in the MCU? Or, you know... Did you just appreciate the effort? But at the end of the day, did it still feel like there was hints of MCU in there that kind of took you out? I think I, I almost feel the opposite to the last uh, comment you said. So it felt like there were hints of stuff that could have been turned into greatness. But mm. overall, I think it fell into a lot of the tropes of previous releases in the MCU. And it's interesting to hear that they they changed up the visual guys and stuff because... I don't know how much it felt different visually to me. There were lots of moments, especially the action scenes and even just the way that the film was lit and Mm. sort of some of it felt like overly saturated at points. And a lot of that is, is, I find myself feeling that a lot throughout these films. So Mm -hmm. interesting that uh, maybe that's just a modern cinema trait that I'm not so Mm -hmm. used to seeing because I don't watch a lot of newer films. And to be fair, I've always been a lot more um how do i put it i've always been a lot more i feel like watching older films when you can tell that it's shot on film or it's at least at at the point before things got really digital there's Mm. something about that that just manages to pull me in as a viewer to watching it and i feel like i'm more involved in watching films like that and that's probably just because that's the kind of era of film where i was actually watching them and i was enjoying them a lot more in my younger younger days so I feel like I've still always struggled. I've always struggled with the visuals on pretty much all of these films. It's just, mm-hmm. I can't, there's no point in me banging on about it every time. I've just kind of accepted that that's what these films look like. So and it's that's too, too clean an image for a you? A little bit too clean, yeah. And especially yeah. like, uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. It was way too, yeah, too clean is probably the simplest way of putting it. Mm-hmm. I just feel like it could have been a little bit more grit and a bit more like, yeah. I find it difficult to get locked into these films anyway because... And one thing I've realized from even watching a film like Black Panther today is that I just think maybe I'm not that into like action sci-fi films. Like Mm -hmm. it's just, uh, I find it hard to get uh, like into these worlds that are so sort of fantasy driven in parts that there's like, it's so far away from reality, which for a lot of people is what they love about it. And I appreciate that. 
But I don't know. I think I think the more we watch these films and and the odd film that I watch in between, I do realize that I'm just a lot more. I'm a lot more attracted to just smaller, yeah. you know, like you know, character development, mm-hmm. uh, more just more like under the microscope rather than on a much broader, bigger scale. And I feel yeah. like, yeah, like the Black Panther just kind of slotted into that in parts. And especially yep. it felt like some bits were kind of shoehorned in just because it was an MCU film. And personally, I would have just preferred it to have been a lot more grounded and a lot more based in Wakanda and around those tribes and stuff. Because yep. those moments I thought were really fantastic. It was mm-hmm. when they sort of disappeared from that. And, and you know, you've got like the... Uh, the sort of off the shelf at the MCU offices B villain that we have to have in there, and you know, it was just it felt like there was a lot of that, and and the action. <laughs> anyway, we'll get into it. I'm, I'm already going off too much. We'll get into no, it. <laughs> I, I absolutely sorry, love sorry, that sorry, answer. Sorry. That yeah. was incredible. I love that. So, Rob, what does Ryan Coogler bring to the MCU? I definitely can see stylistically. I haven't seen Fruitvale Station, but in, I had seen Creed before seeing this, and you can definitely see he likes to sort of have a world feel lived in. And I appreciated the effort for, for a lot of the, you know, there's a lot of CG in this film. I did appreciate the ground level moments of Wakanda and the world that they were trying to build. And I think a lot of that does come through, even from those first shots in Oakland, Mm. um, you know, set in 92. We start off on this basketball court, don't we? Mm. And uh, he mentions in the, uh, audio commentary facts that um he chose it to be a homemade basketball court like a basketball net made out of Mm. like an old milk crate yeah because in his words he said he likes the idea that um africans wherever they wherever they are in the world they're always trying to make something from nothing um whether that be from sport or music they'll they'll find ways to create kind of nice. thing and i you could sort of see there was a different um uh, world view and outlook in some of the the choices yeah. even like later on when we're in wakanda or we're at the street level i noticed that it, different to like asgard and things like that the citizens are all different ages different mm. yep, yep. you know um they're all sort of doing different things they're all sort of there's like street food vendors who are going to have like eating and things like that. And it's just, I know it sounds like a real small thing that shouldn't really make a massive difference, but Mm. there's some, uh, to me, there was something in that that made it feel a bit more lived in and like there was a bit more effort made to try and make it feel Mm. real. And that there was a history to it. It wasn't just like, Oh yeah, we need to put Wakanda in. Let's just make up this place. It feels like it's been there for. So you compare and contrast when Thor, in Ragnarok, arrives back at Asgard at the mm. beginning of oh, Ragnarok. There's not another human. There's no other And people, th- there's about it? six people standing behind him, just yeah. standing there, almost staring at the camera, having little chats to themselves. And it yeah. makes you realise... That oh, hadn't been lived in at all. Yeah, that no, was a oh, No, they've the just background. put a couple of extras in front of the camera. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And oh, the old shit, like, like Rob said, whether it's things like in Oakland with the milk crate as the basketball mm. hoop or the, mm. the street food vendors in Wakanda. I, I yeah. Uh, the fact that you've got, um, you know, tribal elders who are like, I think you said one of the actresses was, was in her nineties and you've also got just sort of kids running around the streets and, you know, it just felt like there was a variety of ages and mm. 
you know, a, a complete wide array of people and, and uh, cultures within this one city. Yeah. You know, all the tribes brought something interesting and sort of stylistically different. Yeah. So I appreciated that, yeah. Hell yeah, you two are on fire tonight. So <laughs> in the present day, following T'Chaka's death, his son T'Challa returns to Wakanda to assume the throne. He and Okoye, the leader of the Dora Milaje, extract T'Challa's ex-lover Nakia from an undercover assignment so she can attend his coronation ceremony with his mother, Ramonda, and his young sister, Shuri. So, remember, we're being objective here. Um, Colin, you've already mm-hmm. mentioned, you know, we've, we've been briefly introduced to Chadwick Boseman in Civil War. Were you excited to see him again? And how was his performance in this for you? Yeah, I was definitely excited to see him again. And uh, I mean, yeah, I thought his performance was amazing. I mean, I think I was still riding that wave from him in Civil War because I feel like Civil War was a moment where you could see him sort of against all the big dogs from Mm -hmm. the get-go. And in my opinion, he was a a scene stealer there. So like at this point when he's got his own film it's like you just i just want to see more of him like i was super excited to see him and i really liked the the visuals of that ship they were in when they went to go and capture um yeah uh, i can't remember who it was nikita yeah that that scene was quite cool actually Mm. i was feeling it i was feeling it a lot to begin with to be (laughs) honest i I was i was uh definitely getting up for it okay um and rob does chadwick successfully build upon what he showed us in civil war i think so especially I think from from the first few scenes, he's he's not like any other hero in the MCU. I mean, the sort of the most different we've had, I guess, would be may, maybe Peter Parker. But they're all very quippy and they're all very mm. even Doctor Strange. They kind of crowbar in these kind of like what like Beyonce that kind of like <laughs> this weird humor that feels like it's a relic of tony stark it's like yeah and uh i really appreciated that he, he wasn't humorless but he was very dry and i liked that he was kind of like i mean he smiles a lot in it he makes he does make sort of yeah. jokes but he just didn't feel like he was constantly he felt like a king like he, mm-hmm. he felt like yeah the you know he was someone that had um dignity and mm-hmm. um yeah he was great and i i, I love the there's a moment in that opening when they're in the forest and they're doing that whole, you know, he's trying to rescue, um, you know, those people that have been kidnapped and, and Nakia. And the the soldiers are sort of like looking around to see who's done it and they see this dog barking up at a tree and then they pan the light up and it's just him like perched. <laughs> so the dog's yeah. essentially barking at a cat in a tree. It's yeah, yeah. Such a cool little moment. It always brings a smile to my face. But no, I agree. I think like... T'Challa is probably one of the more, I don't know if grounded's the right word, but just maybe the more human because a lot of the other dudes, yeah, they're great. They, you know, they've got their quirks and stuff, but that is it. Sometimes they can turn a little bit into sort of caricatures of themselves. It's like every mm-hmm. time one of them pops up, you know, he's going to be this dude and that. I think yeah. with Chadwick Boseman, he manages to play the role of T'Challa and it's just very, yeah, like you said, man, he he he, he is a king, you know, and have, we haven't really had that before ever. We haven't had. No, I mean, I know, he's I know a king Thor with so like... much on his shoulders as well, isn't he? Like, it, 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 he's obviously very new to the throne. It was something obviously he's yeah. been preparing for his whole life, but then to play it as a man that maybe finds out it's based 
upon lies and bloodshed and mm. he was also finding out at the same time maybe his father wasn't the man he he thought him to be yeah. there's there's a lot for that chadwick needs to do in this film and i, I think everything rings true I think for like we talked about it in Civil War that he was given a full arc from someone that was consumed by vengeance to realizing that wasn't the right path. And I think in this, it's a character that, as he says, like, you're the greatest king, you know, that Wakanda's ever known. And he mm-hmm. fought, put his dad up on this high pedestal. And it's almost like he's, you know, tied to these traditions. Yeah. And, and the whole film is his arc in this is, is going from that to. To almost sort of embracing part of the, the villain, which we'll get into, but the villain's uh, motives. Of, the, of, the film ends with him doing what the villain's been trying to do. Yeah, um, and I think that again, embracing the new and, and looking to be his own king and not trying to be the king that his dad was. Yeah, um, I think that's really, really interesting. I think he's got a, a great arc in this, uh, and he's, he's just a good, like like we say about uh, what's it, Steve Rogers that. You've got a character that, in the middle of a fight for the throne, he's saying, "Yield." You know, your mm-hmm. your tribe needs you. He's not trying to hurt people, or no. he's always trying to take the good mm-hmm. route. And I think, you know, that's just engaging yeah. to watch. Oh, most definitely, I love that. Uh, just before the ceremony, too, we meet Shuri, uh, T'Challa's younger sister. Now, Kevin Feige and Ryan Coogler both say that Shuri is actually the smartest character in the MCU. She's even smarter than Tony Stark himself. So, Colin, how was Letitia Wright as Shuri for you, his younger sister? To be fair, I thought she was quality. Yeah? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I really liked her. I thought she was not, like, there as the comedic uh, element, but Mm -hmm. definitely had some funny, like interactions she's the rebellious younger child isn't she and yeah they really embrace that down to even like um her costume choices yeah exactly they really try and spin a bit left field with some of that yeah and uh yeah just some very wholesome feeling between the relationships that she has and that that scene with with um t'challa when he's trying on the outfits and he Mm -hmm. she starts filming it so she you know like (laughs) just little bits like that like like we've already said that world in Wakanda felt so lived in. Yeah. It's sort of like what I've said previously in the uh, non-MCU Spider-Man films, where it feels like everywhere you go, there's like a they, they've been lived in so well that you just want to stay there for a while. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter who it is. Mm-hmm. And um, but now I thought she was really cool, man. Nice yeah. addition. Lovely. Talking of that scene, Colin, that you mentioned with trying on the suit. <clears throat> yeah. Audio commentary facts. That scene, uh, Ryan Coogler said that that was almost a sort of symbolic of what he was trying to go for with this whole, um, you know, T'Challa being almost stuck in the past and tradition and all this sort of thing and uh, needing to be brought into the present in that his sister stands for the present. And that whole scene is her being like, look at your traditional shoes you're wearing. You need Mm. upgrades and look at this, you know, old suit that you're wearing that's you know with a with its own mask and stuff yeah yeah, yeah here's here's uh here's an update to it and things and she's trying to she's bringing him into the sort of like culture with like albeit very dated vines and <laughs> mean <are> those? references <laughs> yeah but still it was like i thought that was interesting i hadn't thought of it that way that it's uh you can see it between their relationship that she's like part of that thing that 
uh, among many of the female characters, which we will get into, I guess, mm-hmm. how incredibly written the, the women are in this film mm. yep. compared to, I think, any other Marvel film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the ceremony, the Jabari tribe's leader, Mbaku, challenges T'Challa for the crown in ritual combat. T'Challa defeats Mbaku and persuades him to yield rather than die. Now, Colin, correct me if I'm wrong, but I might need you mm. to teach me something here. Uh, maybe Rob knows the answer too as well. But I what? noticed that there was what looked like quite a lot of martial arts or mixed martial arts mm. in this fight scene. Any type of style jumped out to you or anything like that? I, I It goes over my head a little bit. And I love the UFC. I watch it, but um, kind of, uh, I, I need maybe you to educate me a little bit here. I distinctly remember when the tide turned in favour of Black Panther and he sort of threw two or three 12 to six elbows, which are actually illegal in the UFC, um, mm. to the to the head of uh, M'Baku, which split his thing, mm. his uh, like mask open. And it looked like it ended in some sort of... Like an armbar inver- or something, no, right? No, well, it was more of like an inverted triangle choke, which could have transitioned into a... That's the kind of information I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> jiu-jitsu, baby, that's what it was. It was bra- <laughs> yeah, he was throwing up some Brazilian jiu-jitsu at the end. It made him tap, even though, let's be fair, it wasn't really cinched up that, that deep. But <laughs> I'll let him off. It wasn't in tight. Nah, but we'll let them off. I think it was it was some form of a triangle. Don't quote me on it. But yeah. oh, that's brilliant. Uh, I also, I surely we're all in agreement here that Winston Duke as Mbaku, Mbaku, sorry, in this film is amazing. Mm. He's great. He's so good. Him. He's so charismatic, and that that guy is huge. Oh yeah, so that 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 specific tribe, the ones that were obviously living like lower down in the, the mountains or whatever. Uh, no, no, sorry, they, the um, Jabari. That Jabari. Was they were all beasts, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the size of those guys. But, I love um, the some of the choices they made there, especially some of the ones I heard in the uh, audio commentary facts that the the Wakandans all worship the panther god called Bast, mm. um, which they say in the open exposition. But the the mountain tribe, the uh, tribe, the um, Jabari, they they worship like a, a monkey or like an ape type mm. god. That's why Mbaku has that mask on. And they almost describe well, Kugler describes him as um, being like a silverback. Like in the comics, it's almost it's very racially iffy. A bit on the nose, is it? Mbaku is just like a a big ape, basically mm-hmm. ape man. Um, and he's like, I didn't want to do that for an obvious reason. Quickly, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. They, they, so that's why his back is like covered in like a grey, silverish kind of tone mm. because it's, but he's supposed to be like the leader of that tribe mm. or like a silverback, like a silverback yeah. gorilla, like that strong sort of uh, leader to that tribe. He's, it's just great. Excellent stuff. Speaking about uh, this tribe and how massive they are and on the uh, MCU as well, I think... Colin, maybe you gave me this bit of information. It was weird you giving me news on the MCU. Yeah, this, does, this doesn't sound right. And <laughs> that you, um, there is a oh, UFC. Kamara Usman, is it? There's a yeah, Kamara Usman. Yeah, Kamara Usman. Yeah, no, that that got announced. Maybe that was the last time all the the Marvel stuff happened. Uh, no, it was just after that. I don't. I mean, again, I don't get any Disney or Marvel stuff pop mm. up on my algorithm, but I obviously get a lot of MMA news and stuff yeah. come up. And yeah, for a couple of days, it was just flooded with uh, Kamara Usman signs to be in Black Panther Two, or I don't know if they gave away the the name um, of it. So I guess it's not spoiling anything. There is another film set in Wakanda coming up. Mm. Um. It is not Black Panther two. Well, no, yeah, obviously, it's, but I think they were they were headlining it as that. I think yes, just to it's, get it's going to be called um, Wakanda Forever. 
That's the one, yeah. Um, they've made the decision not to recast T'Challa. Okay, I'm, I'm, I appreciate that. They, that they decision. felt that that maybe wasn't necessary. So, um, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Yeah, uh, some plot details have have come out, and um, it's a very interesting route they've decided to take. Uh, um, yeah, it's going to be quite exciting, I think. But uh, yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see Kamara in it. I yeah, mean, I don't um, think he's. I don't think he has an acting background. They have released a trailer and i cried at the trailer um it's gonna be i'm sure they're gonna yeah i bet that'll be an emotional it's gonna be a fucking tough film uh if the trailer gets me so um when uh wanking no sorry when claw and his accomplice eric (laughs) stevens uh steal a wakandan artifact from a london museum to charla's friend and okoye's lover wakabi it urges him to bring claw claw sorry back alive Right. I've been looking forward to this one, I hope. Mm. Um, Villain time. So we all know who we have to talk about in a minute. But before him, uh, let's quickly ask, Colin, were you happy to see Claw again? Did you even recognise him from Age of Ultron? I I recognised him and I was very close to messaging the group chat after I first saw him and was just like, I have I have seen him before, haven't I? Like he, he is. I, I knew I had seen him. I, mm-hmm. If you had if you had put a gun to my head and asked me what film I'd seen him in, I'd say pull the trigger. I've forgotten. <laughs> um, but I knew that I knew that he was definitely in it. But so, can you remind me what he, what he was doing in Age of Ultron? Because that film alone, I've tried to sort of push sure. back on my uh, mind. Robert. He is the um, so they figure out that Ultron is after vibranium in order mm. to strengthen, make a body of pure, like, the most unbreakable metal. Sure. And uh, Tony had ties to him back when he was dealing arms and things, and he's like a a bit of a dodgy arms dealer. Mm-hmm. Um, he needed an arms dealer. There we go. Oi, oi, oi. So, yeah, he was the one who was talking about the cuttlefish with the lights. Okay. And then Ultron turned up and took the vibranium and chopped his arm off. Okay. All right. Well, I wasn't a big fan of him in this. Oh. I felt like it was literally, it. yeah. I mean, I wish this was video because I just want to do an impression of what he looked like every time he was on screen. But it's obviously not going to translate <laughs> on audio. But he just had this annoying fixed grin throughout most of his performance. <laughs> and his he was just like, oh, I, don't, I can't do it because it's, it's uh, not visual. Um, yeah, just... Just a non-character to me, mm-hmm. no depth whatsoever, completely throwaway. Another one of those. I mean, it, I think they're looking in the discount bin for villain ideas at this point. That's what I was thinking of the film okay. um, because the struggle continued um, for let's let's make some Marvel villains. But I do like Andy Serkis and respect yeah. to that guy. So, Rob, is Andy Serkis in this? You know, a bunch of fun, or maybe are we verging onto Colin's side here that maybe his performance is a little too large for this movie? Does it work? I'll answer it with a jingle. He's a circus performer. Circus themed. Yeah, we get it. Yep. Yep. He's Doesn't need explaining. I mean, I was going to go with Circus Ham again, but I, I, mm. I realised that his name sounded somewhat like Circus. Yeah, yeah. Andy so, Fairground. Yeah. Why not? One, it's a one-time like jingle. You're not going like to get it, it again. But yeah, I, I, I just like him because of how hammy and ridiculous he is. 
I love it. The man's but got you, like you, a, a floppy arm. Like his arm is so weird. I kind of just mm. wish the fingers had no like purpose. Mm-hmm. I kind of mm. wish that the fingers were like just these sort of floppy like. <laughs> Yeah, almost like. Have you seen like a bit like hot dog sausages? Have you seen everything every, everywhere, everything all everywhere, all at once? Oh, I haven't seen that yet. I, I wanted the yeah his fingers to be all like floppy all the time, <laughs> <laughs> just have no no use. But I just liked that he was just basically running around like a madman, sort of going, "Oh, that was awesome! I <laughs> made it right. in love, <laughs> baby. Don't hurt me." <laughs> every time I saw him, I was just like over the moon. Like it was almost like they'd sort of shown him a paycheck before he went to do anything. <laughs> and he was just really chuffed. <laughs> and he was just really chuffed. So every scene he's running in going, Hey, you're awesome. He's just seeing the <laughs> zeros so in his bank account. I do have a mixtape actually, it's on SoundCloud. <laughs> oh Christ. Sounded more like David Bellamy for uh, older UK listeners. Well I than, uh, Andy Circus. I really like him in this as well. I think he's having a ton of fun. It brings this new energy to the film. I li- I also like kind of we don't get to see much of it, but how kind of calculated and cold he is actually as a villain. There's that moment when they're in the London Museum and he's like, come here, you can you can go. You can go. Don't tell mm. anyone. And the guy runs off and he shoots him in the back only for the reason that it makes them look a bit sloppy. Because, yeah. you know, they didn't want to be seen as this really tight group of like, essentially mercenaries, I guess. Uh, Andy Serkis, I love you, uh, but we are going to move on from you. So, Colin, mm. I really, really, really hope you aren't going to mention villain bargain bin in this next bit. Because <laughs> <laughs> that would break my heart. So, Michael B. <laughs> Jordan as mm. Eric Killmonger. Um, did mm. they somewhat solve their Marvin, Marvel villain problem Marvin. before you hear, Marvin? Or are you still not impressed? I think as far as MCU villains go, he was a a better one than normal. Oh, I thought and, we were going to get the top then, Jesus. Uh, I, I don't know if, if there is a top with Marvel villains, if <laughs> I'm honest. I, I don't, well, I'm, I'm not even being insulted. There's not a top. There's definitely some bottoms, but then there's just like a crowd of of a few that are floating around, Brilliant. not on the bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I thought he was the a better one than we've seen in a while okay. for sure. Um, definitely needed. Uh, I loved the backstory, and as we've all mentioned in the past, you need a reason to be a villain. And I think the reasons that we learn about this guy yeah. um, are like up there with in terms of motive i mean very 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 high Mm -hmm. uh one and i think michael b jordan's great as well as an actor i think a phenomenal performance from him as well and i haven't seen creed although i think rob might have even recommended it to me uh one of the times we were hanging out or even on the pod but i probably should watch that um no surprises (laughs) here but i cry every time (sighs) (laughs) but i think the only downside i found to the villain was the fact that his plans were just so poor. Like it felt like the the plan he had when he got the 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 what the fuck's it called the blue. What's the, the heart shaped herb? Yeah, yeah, or, or yeah, the the plans he had to do with that. I just feel like they were so not thought through well enough to the point that he's like, I'm just going to give it to everyone, and then we'll take over everyone who's in power. Uh, you know everyone who and and i just think like and the scenes that he had with um t'challa when they were going back and forth like 
every time he would say something, T'Challa would just come back with like the most logical explanation of like this is just a terrible idea. <laughs> and I find like and I, and I think when and obviously I agree with everything T'Challa was saying, and I think to make a good villain or or a better villain, I think you need to at least be on board with their plans. And I just feel like what he had in mind to do. And if he's had his entire life to think through this stuff, mm-hmm. well, not his entire life, but, you know, since a young age, I just feel like there could have been a bit more to get behind, maybe if he had a bit more of a, a just a, a more laid out plan. It yeah. felt like it was very, I'm just going to do this without really thinking about, well, hold on, you're about to give this incredibly powerful, whatever you're going to categorize it as, to a load well, he, of people. He wanted to give the vibranium to the people around. That's it. Well, That's it, the, the vibranium. The, the, yeah. the, the, the heart-shaped herb after he ingested it burned it so he didn't want anyone to have that but he wanted yes he wanted to share the vibranium yeah yeah so i think like that's just not a very good plan just to give this uh, and and that was where i kind of struggled with it but i would say that is uh yeah he probably is up there with one of the higher villains yeah but Um, not at the top because it doesn't exist um so (laughs) oh it doesn't in the mcu yes but i don't you know, it definitely doesn't exist. I mean, I still think that the two that we saw in Spider-Man 1 and 2 were better. And, Green, you know, you have got Goblin things like Joker. And Dr. Octopus, yeah. Yeah, and, and also you've got, you know, you're going to put them up. Sandman. Oh, definitely not Sandman, no. <laughs> and you're going to still always be harping back. I'm always going to be harping back to the likes of Joker from the Batman mm-hmm. franchise and stuff. And it's like, they're not on that level. And maybe they don't have to be on that level. Mm-hmm. But that's who I'm going to be comparing them to. Cool. Yeah, makes sense. Rob, uh, do you, where do you stand in, in regards to uh, Killmonger as a villain? I think he's probably one of the most interesting villains. I think he, he's got that interesting thing that all great villains need and that, maybe not all great villains, because I suppose you look at the Joker, take the Dark Knight, the Joker doesn't really have a motive other than just to do it. He's just chaos in a personified. So he's not. You can't really go. Oh yeah, I can really empathise with his motives and why he's doing. He, no, that it mm. doesn't make a perfect villain every time. But I think he had that. You know, you look at even if you look at the the character and he didn't have the Wakandan heritage. I think anyone learning who anyone who's been from a a underprivileged background and and a you know a you know, cultural back- background that's been trod on for generations and generations learn that there is this secret society that are just keeping it all to themselves. That would, you know, do mad things to your brain. And arguably that's why Claw's so mad because he knew of Wakanda and no one believed him. They all just mm. thought it's a third world country. Mm-hmm. And he's like some mad, like, but they're, they're hoarding all this stuff and I think I should have it and blah, 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 yeah. blah. He's like a weird sort of inverse of that. But it's like you can see his motives. You completely get why that would make someone want to go against Wakanda. And then when you add the family element into it, you're like, well, hell yeah. Like they hmm. they abandoned him and they were, they were supposed to be his family. And not only that, they killed his dad. You totally get the motives. But I do agree with Colin. I think maybe, the, the, I don't know if this was the approach, but maybe they were looking at it like... This is a person that as soon as they got everything they wanted, they sort of like, we see at several points, he is sort of reverted back to being a kid again. 
he goes back to these things of like, uh, you know, later on in the film, he goes back to talking about, oh, my dad told me all these stories about Wakanda and, yeah, and in the, you know, the ancestral plane. He constantly scene. reverts to him being a kid to himself, doesn't he? And I think he? maybe yeah. that's mm. just sort of like, he gets that power and that's him sort of being like, the, the sort of angry kid yeah. making the plan. Like, oh, fuck the world. Let's just fucking mm. go out there and fucking burn it all down. Like, and, um, I don't know necessarily the film sells that well. Yeah, because it is plan, a very rash but, thing, um, isn't it? Like the burning of the herbs and things like that. It feels, it, as soon as he finds out about them, he's like, well, burn it all. And he, he doesn't yeah, think about very, it. Yeah, very emotional, mm. isn't it? Mm. Very emotional response. I do think maybe a few more moments of him sort of acting, I wouldn't say childish, but rash and impulsively. That frustration, yeah. Could have could have helped sell that more. But, you know, it's... um. I, I I really do love him as a villain. I think he's really really interesting, and it well he he sort of changes the the lead character in a way that yeah no other villain has. I don't think in in the MCU to this point. Yeah, there was a couple of times in my notes whenever I wrote the word villain, I actually put it in hyphens. Like there are some people out there, I kind of differ back and forth. Uh, there's some people out there that question whether he actually is a villain. The film portrays him as such. But is he? Mm. Because there are some people out there as well that once, obviously after the, the death of Chadwick Boseman, some people were like, I know it looks like he dies at the end. Marvel should maybe figure out a way to sort of reverse engineer that. Have him take up the mantle. And um, is he? would you still class him as a villain? I think, yeah, when he starts talking about murdering <laughs> people and their kids... He does mention kids, I, doesn't he, at one point? I, I think turn into Ray Fiennes and Imbruge a bit. Not the kids. My <laughs> fucking kids. <laughs> then I'd be like, yeah, you're you're a bit of a villain. Yeah. No, yeah. I don't I think like his motives, not necessarily villainous. Mm-hmm. Not not villainous at all, really, in terms of what society's done to him mm-hmm. and to others. But I I think the motives, yeah. Yeah. It's two wrongs don't make a right, I always say. Um so because society is uh has done those bad things to him and others doesn't mean it's the right thing to do those things back in order to make things right well put so t'challa okoye and nakia travel to busan south korea where claw plans to sell the artifact to cia agent everett k ross a firefight erupts and Claw attempts to flee, but is caught by T'Challa, who reluctantly releases him to Ross's custody. So we get two action sequences in fairly close succession here. Uh, one taking place in a casino and then there's a car chase shortly after. That car chase actually involved 150 cars and 700 extras. That is mental. Um, Colin, we know we tend to sometimes lose you during some MCU action sequences, but we also know that when done right, they tend to maybe mm. work the opposite way and kind of pull you in even more. Uh, did we still have your attention during both of these sequences? It, it's one of those things where there's some highlight moments from them that I loved. Some of the visual moments were really interesting and, and I thought creative mm-hmm. that we hadn't seen yet. But I'm just, I think I'm just bored of action scenes now in these films. <laughs> like, and especially the car chasing ones, it's so difficult to do an original car chase. True. 
And I think they, like I said, there was elements, there were some fun elements in it. There were some really good striking images of, of Black Panther in his suit, you know, on, on top of the vehicle. Yep. And, but it just all went a bit fast and furious for me mm. for five, ten minutes or however long it was. Um, and yeah, man, and again, like it's sort of, I, I, I spoke on it earlier. I just, the more of these films I watch, the more it's just, I realize that maybe I'm just not that into this style of film, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and no matter how great they might be to everyone and how well made they are and how fantastic everyone involved is and how much money they make, if you're not into something, you're not into it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and that's sort of, that's why I'm always just, like there's parts of this film where, and, and Robert even touched on it, you know, like the, the the parts of Wakanda where you're you're only in there for a split second sometimes, and you're like, man, I want to fucking stay here. Hmm. Like, there's so much cool shit going on. Like you were saying, and and there's a few, there's a couple of bits right at the end of the film might, might even be one of the post credit scenes. But like, it's just like I just just wish that there was more of of it just being a bit more grounded mm-hmm. and a bit less of bouncing between different parts of the globe every five minutes and being yeah. in amongst and yeah so this is the part of again, the film but... where it feels more like a bond film than anything else I oh find. that mm. that casino that casino film where they walk in and they've yeah. all got the head thing oh they've all got their earpieces mm-hmm. in and they're like there's there's three americans there's yeah, five yeah. Or six and you're a bit like are we watching uh fucking james bond all of a sudden mm-hmm. or something <laughs> and um even it even felt like there were moments in this film that kind of reminded me a bit of like the first Iron Man film. Like there were certain parallels, like when he's getting his suit and it's very sort of technical mm-hmm. and and it was almost like to be fair, and I mean it hasn't been that long since I watched them, but there was almost a little bit of nostalgia in there from like, oh shit, I remember the Iron Man film. That was a long <laughs> yeah. time ago. That wasn't it. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> there were a couple of moments like that for me that were quite interesting. But yeah, no, the action stuff is like I, I don't know, man. I feel like I've seen it all by this point. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Rob, how was the South Korea sequence for you? I really enjoyed it. I, um, I I like that it tried to do... This was what I mean when I said about some things that are stylistically very... I could tell a Ryan Coogler's kind of thing. Yeah. Like, there's a moment, I think, the, not to be too spoilery about Creed, but there's a fight in Creed where they do it all in one shot. And you can tell he really digs that because he wanted a lot of the action to be, you know, these sort of moments within the fight that are all one shot and then suddenly there's an impact shot of someone kicking someone in the face or something and then it goes on to the next long yeah. sweeping um, set piece. Um, and I really enjoyed the fight sequence. There was another little moment in that sequence oh. that I really enjoyed and that was Excelsior! <laughs> oh, shit, yeah. It's an interesting little story around this one. So it's the setup is that T'Challa's put all this money down He's chatting to Everett Ross. And he's like, "Yeah, man, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take Claw. That's what I'm gonna do. Yep. I'm just gonna take him. It's word for word how it is in the script. <laughs> um, he walk, he walks away and uh, and wins and doesn't really care for the money, which also shows how much of a baller he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Stan leans across and goes, "You know what? I think I'll take these, move them over here for safekeeping. <laughs> I don't know what's happened to my Stan Espresso today. It's been really good before, I'll That's say that. has been great, man. Yeah, it's been getting but better But this one sounded like I was in Bugsy Malone. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, Stan. But the little tidbit of information that the audio commentary gave was that Stanley um, said that he always really loved that Black Panther was ridiculously rich, that money had no sort of fathom on mm. how he sort of like 
moves around the world. So he found it really funny that he was the one that got to steal Black Panther's winnings. Mm-hmm. There's something about this post credit scene I've always really liked. It's one of my favourites, just for how simple and funny it is. Post credit, you mean? Post credit uh, scene. Oh Jesus Christ! Not post credit. Jesus. Um, cameo scene. Sorry. Um, yeah, I, I think cameos, yeah. It's, it's, there's, a, there's a charm to its simplicity. And you know what, Stan, he knows he'll be, he would be the first to admit that he's not the greatest actor in the world. I think he nails mm. that line. I think it's very funny. Yeah, I really liked it as well. So the rest of the, in terms of action, I think there's a load of little cool moments in there, especially in the casino. Um, Kugler did say in the audio commentary facts, there was definitely a Bond influence in influence in the film in the um shuri giving him all the gadgets very q like isn't it yeah yeah, yeah he even admits that was, that was yeah. definitely an influence to have that kind of feel to it i love the moment where okoye throws her wig mm-hmm. at the guard and then beats the crap out of him Apparently, to she, in, she obliterated some in dudes cinemas yeah. in america when she took off the wig and threw it at the man <laughs> and that got rounds of applause nice yeah, yeah it's so good and i think um she There's was just some in real nice like, action beats in it. I think when when T'Challa sort of jumps up to get Claw, and uh, Claw fires his weird arm gun yep. at him, mm. and he holds up like a sort of money trolley yep. in front of him to shield himself, and then it all explodes all yeah, over the yeah, casino, yeah. and uh, and nice old Claw's like, "I made it rain." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> so good. <laughs> I also enjoyed Okoye throwing the spear through the car in front of her. And it's stopping the car. Bring it, bring it to a stop. That was mm-hmm. one of the... The car stuff is... I agree, it kind of feels... It's, I found this really weird, actually. I thought this was like a really cool moment that they were showing off in the audio commentary. But they mentioned that it's uh, it was shot by... The second unit director was a man called Darren Prescott, who's worked on um, Baby Driver, mm. um, Drive... And John Wick. Oh, wow. Three wow. films that have very realistic and sort of grounded and um, mm. impactful car scenes. You know, mm. you really feel these cars mm. like it's all been done for real. And I didn't really get that from these car scenes at all. But mm. I thought it was interesting that they got him involved. Wow. I, I think the yeah. shot of Okoye on top of the car, the wig off mm. and the red cape just billowing in the wind i think is almost yeah. almost to the point of iconic i think it's such an incredible shot there's a there's a real nice moment before that when the you know the goons are shooting at the car and i think um circus is like oh you dumb boat it's vibranium and <laughs> it's getting worse again it's claw via and, um, oliver twist <laughs> yeah, he says it's uh, you know it's vibranium and that it's bulletproof and everything. And then the next shot is Okoye winding the window down to climb yes. out, as if to say like it's such a little badass moment. This bulletproof car, which they would be perfectly safe in if yeah. they just stayed inside it, she, she decides to climb out, out the window. Out the window. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love uh, that casino sequence. You've already mentioned that sort of tracking shot. I love that he gives us a tracking shot, much like the one in Creed as well. Uh, you know, you can see the seams if you look for them, obviously, but it still does. It makes it still incredibly exciting to watch. Um, it doesn't it doesn't overstay its welcome as well. As much as I love a tracking shot, they can sometimes disappear up their own ass very quickly. Um, and yeah, actually, I, I think the car sequence is fine. I I really like the. I know Collins mentioned sometimes the too digitalized look of the film and maybe the MCU in general. 
general. But I really like the look of um, South Korea in this sequence. I really mm. like uh, the neon look they've kind of given it all. I like the gadgets. It felt like a... Uh... I, I, it felt like a bad cutscene for a Need for Speed film. I can see uh, that as well. I mean, it, I, it could be Fast and Furious, definitely. Like, one of them, for sure, mm. as well. Um, but I like the gadgets in the sequence as well. You know, Shuri um, remotely controlling the car from her lab in Wakanda. I actually really like all of that. Um, T'Challa using the kinetic energy of the bullets hitting his suit to, you know, just literally propel cars off the road. I'm into all of that. So, yeah, um, maybe it's just me being my two rose-tinted glasses optimistic on the mcu self but um yeah i i I quite enjoy these sequences uh so claw tells ross that wakanda's international image is a front for a technologically advanced civilization eric killmonger attacks and extracts claw as ross is gravely injured protecting nakia rather than pursue claw t'challa takes ross to wakanda where their technology can save him colin um quickly mention him martin freeman um unnecessary or a nice welcome addition i really didn't like him in this <laughs> oh no i think i think his his character just had zero personality mm. i don't do like who was he what, what did he like what did what didn't he like what what <laughs> Was he funny? Was he sad? Was he happy? Was he no? He was just an English guy trying to do an American accent, and <laughs> I think, and I think this is one of the. I'm not the biggest fan, as you know, of the of the comedy that gets injected into these mm-hmm. films most of the time. Obviously, Thor was a slightly different example. Uh, the last one we watched, mm. uh, Ragnarok, but. I think this was a really missed opportunity to lean into how great Martin Freeman is as as a comedic actor and have him be that comic relief that was sort of missing a bit from this one. Sort of was and sort of wasn't. You got a lot of it coming from fucking Andy Serkis, but that was a big miss for me. Mm -hmm. You got the odd one-liner from some of the guys, which are just kind of so throwaway now. They go in one ear and out the other. And I just think like... Why did he have to be American? Is he having a, a competition with Cumberbatch who can do the worst or best American accent in these films? Uh-huh. But totally just such a bizarre casting for me because, I mean, and I know I probably, Martin Freeman's probably one of the more known actors for me that's come into this mm-hmm. franchise. So it's like, you know, I know him from like things like The Office and even Sherlock, for instance, and some of his other roles. And I just think it was kind of off-putting because they didn't give him a, a personality or or really anything. Can I so just I found double it... check that you knew he was in Civil War as well? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Good. I remember him popping okay, up. But cool. yeah, no, I, I do remember him popping up, but I don't think we mentioned him on the pod because that was, there was so much to talk about. It, it was a big uh, yeah. But I do remember thinking then, like, oh, he's not. That's that's just a nothing. I, and I thought maybe it was just like an extended cameo. To be honest, yeah. I wasn't really expecting to see him again. So when I did see him pop him up, uh, pop up in this, I did think to myself, okay, I'll give him another chance. But it, it, the character just went nowhere for me, yeah. and it was so throwaway. Uh, I yeah, that's my that's my views on <laughs> him. So uh, same to you, Rob. I guess people as well were quite surprised to see Martin Freeman return to the role in, in this film. Uh, were you happy to see him back? I was indifferent. Hmm. I think hmm. I love Martin Freeman as well. I think he's great. I just um Oh me too, me too. Yeah, I just uh I think at the time was it the joke that was doing the rounds on Twitter when this film came out that him and Andy Serkis were the Tolkien white guys. <laughs> the, the <laughs> Hobbit <laughs> and um Gollum, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. True, yeah. <laughs> Bilbo and Gollum. <laughs> yeah, Bilbo, shit. Good gag. Um <laughs> But 
Yeah, he was just kind of like there. He was a CIA agent. They talk, repeatedly tell you what his um, personality is in that he's ex-pilot. CIA agent and ex-pilot. They mentioned which, ex-pilot know, a few times. Mentioned. But yeah, he had ex-pilot. quite, a, he had quite so, a big role, really. I mean, he got into some bits towards the end when he was doing another one of mm. these tropes that seem to be popping up a lot in these films now, which is you're not sat where you actually are, but you know, you're doing this mm-hmm. virtual battle. He had one of those, didn't he, towards the he end? Um, he was kind of like a plot device in that it was another person that showed, was there to sort of show what, um, you know, T'Challa's mercy can, you yeah. know, what that can build into, you know, because he was merciful and handed over Zemo in mm-hmm. Civil War. Mm. You have someone that's more amiable to work with him in, well, yeah. in this. Because they're, they're then... so strict about Wakanda and their traditions, and especially letting people know as to what Wakanda actually is. Um, but the fact mm. that someone is in front of him that needs their help and is probably going to die, he doesn't think twice about letting him enter Wakanda. Yeah. So a plot device as a character, yes, I, I'd say so. Um, yeah, well, I think that's all he is. Mm. Really? So, Colin, when um, he arrives and they tell Shuri that um, they've got Ross with them, um, and Shuri says, great, another white boy for us to fix or something like that or for us to repair, did that go over your head? Because that was obviously hinting at a certain post-credit scene. Um, it did It did go over my head. To my eyes. I did think to myself, are, are we going to kind of have a reveal of what that was in reference right. to? Mm-hmm. And to be perfectly honest, I'd, until that post-credit scene, I had totally forgotten about the fact that that he was out there. Yeah. You know. Um, okay, so what could have been anyone? Could have been Malakith. Imagine could, could have been Malakith <laughs> to yes. the cupboard somewhere. <laughs> Malakith, the dark elf. <laughs> oh Jesus! <laughs> Whilst Shuri heals Ross, T'Challa confronts Zuri about Njobu. Zuri explains that Njobu planned to share Wakanda's technology with people of African descent around the world to help them conquer their oppressors. As T'Chaka arrested Njobu, the latter attacked Zuri and forced T'Chaka to kill him. T'Chaka ordered Zuri to lie that Njobu had disappeared and left behind Njobu's American son to maintain the lie. This boy grew up to be Stevens, a black ops US Navy SEAL who adopted the name Killmonger. Meanwhile, Killmonger kills Claw and takes his body to Wakanda. He is brought before the tribal elders, revealing his identity to be Njadaka and stating his claim to the throne. For me personally, I thought there was something just really electric about these scenes of um, mm. Killmonger arriving into the, the throne room, for example. Um, and I've said it many times before and I've said it many times again, but my favourite villains are the ones that don't even know that they're the villain. Um, so uh, Killmonger, A, for me, he feels like he has a right to challenge for the throne. And B, obviously he feels like Wakanda shouldn't be keeping their weapons or technical and technological advancements to themselves as he says there's two billion people in this world who look like us who need our help and you know he's also maybe right in believing wakanda need to share their vibranium too so did the twist not really a twist did this plot uh, development land for you colin that we kind of immediately revert back to the beginning it all suddenly makes a little bit more sense 
Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I'd followed along with it to the point where it didn't feel like a reveal, yeah, really, yeah. or a, a twist and of such. And I was into it. I, I agree with you. I think these scenes and then the next, the scene where they end up having the the, the Ooh, fight yes. for the for the throne. I think like this was to me where the film felt like it locked in for the first time mm-hmm. properly to the point where tonally it felt like it was really on point, and it felt like we were going to sort of stick around there for a long while. Um, yeah. I feel like the score's really strong in these sequences as well. Did, did 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 the score bounce out to you as much as it did during like Ragnarok, for example? Yeah, no, I think even probably just because we we've spoken about it, I think maybe subconsciously now my ears are a little bit more mm. uh, pricked to the scores. Um, I still think maybe I need a. a I mean, I, I don't have the greatest sound system on my TV, mm. so it's. Uh, and imagine watching it in the cinema that stuff's going to translate yeah. like 1000 times more than when I'm sat in my front <laughs> room so yeah no there were some very very nice orchestral moments in this yeah. and obviously you know chucking in there was a lot I heard a lot of Kendrick pop up yeah. uh, throughout the 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 film which because I think I think he did a tie in like album or something with this I yeah, remember did, something like that happened so yeah, that's always good, man. Hmm. Uh, Rob, any thoughts on the score? Is it is it is it top tier? Is it mid tier? What do you think? I really, I think it's one of the better ones. Yeah, I really like the score, and I like the 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 Kendrick album that um, accompanied it. I I really like the the weekend track when they're entering the casino. Mm-hmm. That's in the casino, right? Yeah. It's uh, I really enjoyed that. We talk like with the Killmonger stuff. I really like that scene before it with Zuri and. Um, T'Challa when they're in the you know down there with the herbs and everything and he um, it, I just really like the moment when he's like I was uh, you know I, I will keep that secret for the king and like to, you see T'Challa slip and it's like you, it's like one or two times he raises his voice in the whole film mm. and he's like I'm your king now like this is the, the, it's such an electric scene and I could like Collington. I could watch these scenes of like the politics of Wakanda. Yeah. Um, oh all yeah. Day. Um, oh. And I think like that's another thing that was mentioned in the audio commentary facts. Um, Ryan Coogler said he was really inspired, oddly, by the film Steven Spielberg's film Lincoln. Mm. When when it comes to filming those sort of scenes where it was characters discussing you know, political choices or the difference between the tribes, you know, and yep. sort of those intertribal relations and things, um, that that was one of his big inspirations. And I think that comes across because the gravitas is definitely cool, there. Yeah. They like, take it super seriously. And even, like you say, that throne room scene, mm-hmm. it's um, it's really well done. And it works really well that T'Challa knows and no one else in that room knows. Yes. That he's, like, making a, his thought process is completely different to anyone else in that room because he knows. And he's getting closer and closer to Killmonger throughout the entire scene to mm. the point where they're almost face to face and he's telling him, you don't talk about this anymore. Like, shut yeah. up. <laughs> it's, it's a mm. really interesting decision. Yeah. I also love Killmonger's, hey, auntie. Hey, oh, it's <laughs> so yeah, good. good. <laughs> oh, I love him so much. He's brilliant in it. He's so, so good. <sighs> so, uh, Killmonger challenges T'Challa to ritual combat where he kills Zuri and badly injures T'Challa. 
uh, and hurls him over a waterfall to his presumed death. Killmonger ingests the heart-shaped herb and orders the rest incinerated, but Nakia extracts one first. Killmonger, supported by Wakabi and his army, prepares to distribute shipments of Wakandan weapons to operatives around the world. Colin, I think I already know what the answer is going to be, but did we trick you? Did this? Did you think that this was the end for T'Challa? No, he's shaking his head. So then how was the fight scene for you between uh, T'Challa and Eric Killmonger? Uh, It it was cool. I I don't remember there being particularly many highlights of like, you know, whereas in the first one, I I distinctly remember there being some nice elbows and some Mm -hmm. jujitsu thrown in. Some Uh, inverted choke triangles, whatever things. Yeah, it was was probably, uh, yeah, to be honest, man, like, I watched the film not that long mm-hmm. ago and there was a lot to take in. And I remember, I distinctly remember just before they had this fight mm-hmm. when they're having the face off in that area and they're doing the dance yeah. and stuff. That's the one moment I was like, this is, this is going to be quality. Mm. Like I was locked in at this point. And um, honestly, like I'd probably have to watch it again to give you like a yeah. full on breakdown of, of the moments. But I wasn't surprised that it ended up with um, T'Challa being... Uh, losing Mm -hmm. or you know obviously not dying but um i felt like that was inevitable for the plot line um that that needed to happen and i think him him winning killmonger winning and then just straight away saying he wanted all of this stuff Mm -hmm. destroyed was like it was a cool moment yeah it was a good setup and it was cool that um which character was it that got the remaining one? Nakia. Nakia? Yeah. Nakia, yeah. I like that. And I really enjoy, I enjoyed that whole plot line on paper, but I just felt like, I don't know if I was just sort of losing interest mm-hmm. afterwards, but it felt maybe it was just a little clunky. It wasn't and landing enough for from, you. Maybe not, but yeah, it was, it was cool. So Rob, I, I find this whole sequence, I found it quite emotional for some reason. You know, seeing, you know, T'Challa obviously be beating and, and apparently murdered in front of his family. I think it's a combination of yes. the performances of the people who, mm-hmm. um, of the, the rest of the cast who uh, watched this. The happen. reactions from the rest of them were, were in- quite incredible. Intense, weren't they? And then yeah, all b- yeah. bolstered. I do remember that now. Yeah. Bolstered by the, the, the incredibly like emotive score in the background as well. Um, even though, mm. you know, obviously T'Challa isn't dead. D- does the sequence still work for you in, in like the rewatches? Yeah. I think so. I really love, um, Shuri's reaction, like I think she is the uh, emotional yeah. link to to Charla. Mm. Like he is kind of yeah. too emotional. There's, I suppose you he's you don't really sort of explore his relationship with his mother in the film, mm. but so you really it's really sort of exploring Shuri and Nakia, and they both give two very different mm. reactions to it that really really work for me. I um. The fight scene does feel a bit forgettable mm-hmm. in some respects. Apparently it was for like, me. <laughs> it, yeah, it gets to that, that bit with... Um, it all feels a bit rushed. I don't know why. It just... there's a, The bit where sort of... He's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to kill you too, Uncle James. He's like, well, stabs mm-hmm. him. He's dead at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I don't know. It just sort of felt... It's less technical than the first fight scene it's very tactical and obviously there's Mm. lots of um obviously mixed martial arts techniques thrown in there this one i think is designed to be a lot more emotional reactive Mm. and raw but yeah maybe it doesn't come across as 
as as uh, ag- aggressive or as um, a real real fight to the death as it should have yeah. been. I think I think the first one hits so much more as well because it's the first time you see that environment of the the mm-hmm. area where they're they're having the fight and you see the traditions from the tribes of doing the dancing and stuff before it kicks off mm-hmm. and that and I think obviously they're going to go back to the same spot because that's where it goes down but I think maybe that's just taking a little bit of the sizzle off it on the second it's, time. It's round, very you know? risky doing two set pieces um, in the in the same film that are very similar to each other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. um, and I think yeah. if you're going to do it, the second time you do it, it needs to be ten times better than the first time you do it, and maybe they don't quite achieve that. Mm. I really enjoyed the visual image of him breaking the traditional spear. Mm-hmm. Like it was instantly like a bit of it was a ta- like you say a tactical choice, but also like disrespectful to yeah. everyone that was watching it. It was just like oh fuck this, I'm gonna <laughs> break it in half. But I was I, I like the sort of feeling of threat afterwards, where everyone's like, "You need to go." Love now. that moment so, where everyone starts being like, "We yeah, we got to get out because we don't know what he's going to yeah, do." Yeah, because everything's about to just yeah. completely Love change. That moment. Nakia, Shuri, Ramonda, and Ross flee to the Jabari tribe for aid. They find a comatose T'Challa rescued by the Jabari in repayment for sparing Umbaku's life. Healed by Nakia's herb, T'Challa returns to fight Killmonger, who dons his own nanotech suit, similar to T'Challa's. Wakabi and his army fight Shuri, Nakia and Nadura Malaji, whilst Ross remotely pilots a jet and shoots down planes carrying the vibranium weapons. So, here we are again, final fight scene time. Colin, three words for you. Armour-plated rhinos. Uh, how was this final fight scene for you? Uh, it was fine, man. I mean, <laughs> it, I, I did. I enjoyed the uh, the moments between Killmonger and Black Panther when they're in their respective suits. Like, I thought the design. I mean, to be fair, I haven't even mentioned it, but Black Panther suit's the best out of. It's all incredible. These. Like, it's the best <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah. So the fact that Killmonger had like a slightly you know, a, a sort of another variation of it. I thought that was a nice yeah. touch. Um, but yeah, again, man, like, I'm not going to lie to you. It kind of did turn into a bit of a crash bang wallop. I don't even know what I'm watching at okay. this point. And the fucking rhinos coming out really made me like go, what? <laughs> What's going on here? They might, I'm sure they're probably in the comic, like, <sighs> lore or whatever. So fair enough. But uh, it was a bit of a shocker <laughs> to see that. I don't know if I was expecting to see that. Um, yeah. I, just, I, I can yeah. remember being in a cinema and just burst out laughing the second these rhinos yeah, came running. I, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm in. This is, this is yeah. for me. Yeah, it was, I mean, look, it, it was, it was fine. <laughs> uh, it's like, I think by this point, I had already kind of made my mind up that I was slightly sort Dipping of out on a bit of a yeah. down. But, well, I was just on a bit of a downer because it hadn't quite gone in the direction that I had built my own self up yep. for. So I think by this point I was like, okay, it's another MCU final mm-hmm. fight scene. Uh, sort of following that same blueprint that a lot of them tend to and maybe I'm just maybe I have high expectations maybe I'm miserable as fuck but it didn't do a whole lot for me (laughs) maybe a combination of the two probably yeah (laughs) so Rob does Coogler bring it home or drop the ball as we start to wrap up the film I don't know I think drop the ball is maybe a bit harsh but it's just serviceable it's like fine Mm -hmm. it's not it doesn't really do anything to wow me. I like the moment where, you know, T'Challa steps out and he's like, I, I'm not defeated. And, yep. you know, 
they start, you know, Killmonger fighting the Dora Milaje and all that stuff's interesting. I um, I wish there was more time to sort of look into why the tribes are actually sort of actually so split and that a load of these border tribes, in addition to Daniel Kaluuya, are, are like feeling mm. that, you know, T'Challa's choices are wrong and they should have a little mini civil war about mm. it. Um, but it just sort of happens. It's just this big fight and... I like the rhinos. The rhinos are good fun. Mm-hmm. But it, I'm much more interested in all the stuff before it. You've just had these such like deep emotional character moments where yeah, you've had Eric uh, in the ancestral plane where he mm-hmm. he's isn't like an open wide savannah. It's that those four walls of it's that apartment block apartment isn't it? again. Yeah. yeah, and he mm. sees his dad, you know, and he's you know, there's just a heartbreaking moment where his dad's like, No tears for me and he's like no, like everyone dies. And, and it cuts back, like the little boy is so cold and sort of like, no, everyone dies. And it cuts to the adult Killmonger and the tears running down his face. And I was like, this is our villain, yep. our mm. supposed villain, who's just like this perpetual wounded boy from something really traumatic and shitty that happened to him. Mm. I find that 10 times more interesting. And when you juxtapose that with... Each time him and T'Challa go into that plane, they see their fathers die. We see a, the scene from Civil War when T'Challa first does mm-hmm. it, and we see his father die in, mm-hmm. you know, when he was a kid. And I think it's just really interesting, the parallels between them. T'Challa's big scene when he's, like, basically telling his ancestors they're wrong yep. and they should, you know, it's, it's not the way to go. And he choo- makes his choice of, you know, how he's going to approach being yep. a king. All that stuff, so much more interesting than what we get in the fight scenes. And the second they dive into that underground Oof. cave, um, Oof. I check out up until... What was that? The, yeah. yeah, when the knife goes in Killmonger, I'm back in. Yep. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. What was but, it? What was that that kept coming through? Was it a weird underground so train it's, track it's or a something? Very, it's used in a bit of a throwaway line earlier on when Ross is looking out the window and asks Shuri what's going on. And she says, we're transporting vibranium, but it's such a unstable metal that transporting mm. it at that speed is very dangerous. So she's created these panels that create like these radio waves that, that negate mm. the power of vibranium sure. very, very briefly. And for anyone that really concentrates during that scene is going to think, that's coming back. <laughs> it's uh, not a lazy setup, but you can you can tell it's um, it's yeah. something. But, but even visually and, and the environment of it was just it's so a bit bland flat. to yeah. me. Well, yeah, they made the mistake of having two people wearing black costumes yeah. fight in a black cave. Mm-hmm. And I think like those parts of Wakanda aren't the parts that I'm interested in being yeah. in. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like, it's similar to... I felt like, and this is going back a little bit and I'll, I'll make this short, but I did think that there were a lot of times when you're in Wakanda, but it felt like you were in like a a, a department of the shield complex with, you know, like yeah. it didn't feel like, I loved it when you're outdoors and you saw all the organic elements mm. and, and the way that they had built mm-hmm. this, used this vibranium in the environment. But a lot of those scenes that were set in the the more internal places and they just had these like, just really sort of tacky looking glass panels that had like yeah. blue sort of hieroglyphics floating around on it the whole time. It just felt a little, little IT okay. department for me. And uh, that, that, and that scene, that final scene in, in that, on that 
um, track at the end was sort of a bit more of that yeah. for me. No, I can see that for sure. It's all a bit rubber, rubbery, like the the animation on the on on their sort of fight scene felt like you know the original X Men when Wolverine goes round the edge of the you know he claws round the mm-hmm. edge of the um, Emp- Statue of Liberty. Empire State um, Statue of Liberty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it felt like that. There's a bit where I think T'Challa gets sort of thrown you know, or he jumps at like one of the the yeah. sort of metal spikes and sort of claws round the edge of it and it's just a bit like oh god <laughs> yeah it was a bit but rough. i think i think a lot of that comes down to the you know there's a, a lot of talk of how these effects houses just don't have the time to mm. to to make them perfect and they've got, I think they got the disney emails and, coming in yeah yeah <laughs> i almost think that the the right thing to do if you're gonna put them down in there is to not have the suits on them at all as soon as they mm. get down there they're literally back to that sort of like it's the third yep. version of that sort of stripped down tribal fight they've still got the herb but there there's no suit yeah i think we're all sort of in agreement there anyway um so umbaku and the jabari tribe uh, arrived to reinforce t'challa confronted by okoye wakabi and his army stand down Fighting in Wakanda's vibranium mine, T'Challa disrupts Killmonger's suit and stabs him. Killmonger refuses to be healed, choosing to die a free man rather than be incarcerated. T'Challa shows him the Wakandan sunset and Killmonger dies peacefully. So like I mentioned during the um, armor-plated rhinos, um, I can, like Hmm. I said, still remember seeing this film in the cinema for the first time. And that moment where Killmonger looks to T'Challa and says the words, bury me in the ocean with my ancestors that jumped from ships because they knew that death was better than bondage. I immediately was covered in goosebumps and my jaw dropped. Mm. Um, A superhero Mm. film has no right giving us a line of dialogue this powerful. Um, So Colin, were you sad to see Killmonger go? Is it an appropriate ending for the character or would you have preferred to see him stay around for another film or two? I mean, I think it was was the best way they could have wrapped up. And yeah, again, that line to me was probably one of the the very few that really stuck stuck out. And and Mm. I also, I I disagree that it has no place in a Marvel film. I think, why? Why not? I think more more of that is needed if you're going to, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so yeah, I think I did really enjoy Killmonger, and I thought Michael B. Jordan is is a fantastic actor, and he played the role really well. So there's like sort of bittersweet, mm-hmm. isn't it? Because you want to see more of them, just because you're into them and and they're like intriguing yep. uh, characters. But at the same time, the way that they did wrap it up with him going out and seeing the sunset mm-hmm. was well, very poetic, and uh, it was yeah. a nice nice way of doing it. Nice. Uh, so Rob, same to you. Did they make a mistake killing Killmonger off? No, I think this would always be the right end, I think. Um, I mean, if, if they had decided to keep him around, this should always have been how they ended it down the line, but it would have just... Because it's such a good ending. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, that like you say, that line is just so powerful. It, yeah, it transcends what, the kind of line we normally get from... It made it so, about something real. Yeah. And I guess that's why so many people are, you know, connected with the film because it, it spoke to something that was obviously mm-hmm. incredibly non-comic book, you know, just something that is, yeah, true, yeah. exists yep. and, and and unfortunately exists for a lot of people. Mm. Um, and I just thought it was, um, 
really well done, really well performed. I, I love both their performances in that moment as well. Yeah, lovely. Um, so then T'Challa establishes an outreach centre at the building where Njobu died to be run by Nakia and Shuri. And that's that. So, uh, boys, have I missed anything? Is there anything you want to talk about? Anything else you want to go into? I think, yeah, just another shout out for how amazingly well-written the women yep. are. Like, the women in, in Wakanda and in the film in general are just so strong and they're not led by... There's no fawning over anyone. There's no damsel in distress going on. There's no... Even Nakia being a love interest feels a disservice calling her a love interest. Uh, yeah, I mean, you have scenes where they take the time to have a moment where he, he thanks her for saving him and acknowledges that without her and her choices, he would be yeah. dead. I think that's a nice little thing to do. I just think that, that there's so many characters in it that not only just sort of badass and strong, but also, you know, she's resolute in in her worldview and everything. She She's one of those people that thinks... They should be helping other people in the yeah. world and stuff. And I think it's nice to see female characters written in a in a any film, mm-hmm. as well as a Marvel film, where they are written that well and not to sort of falling into sort of tropes mm. or reasons for the the main guy to do something. Because you know, a lesser film would have had you know like Shuri get kidnapped or By something, Killmonger, or Killmonger yeah. threatened to kill Nakia yeah. or something, and. T'Challa then is inspired to sort of get back in the fight and it would have been fucking awful. <laughs> um, so I just really appreciate that T'Challa is sort of surrounded by these strong women. Even when the um, the Jabari tribe come in for the first time, we've largely seen them as being these sort of like brutish blokes. But the first person to actually break through the border tribe shields and start beating the crap out of people is this woman who just screams almost down the lens it's like so <laughs> badass and amazing and like i said you've got so much representation and diversity in front of that camera that surely that part way explains for this incredible box office there were so many people mm. watching this film thinking oh so that's what it feels like you know what i mean because every, yeah. every other superhero is some middle-aged white dude and to have this film mm. just embrace all this diversity and representation and inclusivity and it, behind the camera as well, those list of people I gave that are all in the crew down from the cinematographer to the production designer to uh, the costume designer, all women as well. And it's, I think Kugler was, um, and Feige were massively instrumental in this. And, um, I think it shows that, um, that if the effort was made and, uh, it, it pays off tenfold. <coughs> Uh, so let's discuss ratings. Um, Colin, what do you give Black Panther out of five? I'm going to give Black Panther three stars. Okay, interesting. Robert Trott. I'm going to give it four. Mm. For me, it's a 4.5. I I really, nice. really love this film. Um, interestingly, when we were talking about the um, opening rescue sequence with Nakia, to me, that's, that sequence sometimes can feel as flat as some of the things 
we mentioned in the cave. There's just something about that mm. sequence. That's, it's a bit flat visually for me. And yes, some of the humor in the film doesn't entirely land, uh, but I can forgive the humor and stuff like that. I think if that opening sequence was really clever and inventive and scary, much, you know, as, as, as clever and inventive and as scary as that moment where you mentioned Rob, where it's all done in mm. that one shot where through torchlight, they, sh- they look at this dog that's barking up at a tree mm. and they the camera tilts up as well with the torches and there's just this guy dressed yeah. as a panther sitting on the branch. It's terrifying. <coughs> Excuse me. If they'd have done that throughout the whole sequence, I think it could have been really interesting. And obviously, the, we've got some quibbles about that final fight sequence. It could have then gone straight to a five for me. Uh, but we're so, so close. Mm. So it's a 4.5 for me. Yeah, I think it's the action that stops mm. me giving it more. Weirdly, I think it's the the bits that I think are so amazing are the character work of the the script and the performances in those moments. Um, but yeah, I think it's just how they how they went about action that stopped it being higher. Interesting, yeah. So it's trivia time, baby. Oh, let's do it. You know too much for your own good. Now that's what I call using the old head. Okay, so usually my trivia is always on my phone. And for the last two weeks, I've been using my phone as my camera. So I'm going to have to try and remember my trivia off the top of my head. And I think... You're going first, though? Uh, I have no idea. No, you went first last week. Ooh, okay. you got time to think then, mate. So... Is it back to evens now, or has Rob taken the lead? Oh, oh, okay. All right, are we? No, I think what, actually you brought it back and got... You're one ahead now, aren't you? I think Rob yeah, maybe I think one you ahead. Are, dude. I think you're one ahead. I, I think am. you're one ahead. Yeah. Yep. Oh, can he get a two point lead? He's never had it. <laughs> never oh, had a well, it's all lead. it's all on you, mate. <laughs> That's true. Um so production designer Hannah Beachler and Ryan Kugler, you know, really wanted Wakanda to have a real history to it and they wanted it to feel incredibly real. And many you know, production designers will have what they call a production bible when they're making a film that basically details everything about this world and you know, all the logic behind it and, and sort of everything about the style. So Hannah Beachler's production Bible was 515 pages long. It included such things around how um, the palace would be, you know, the mix of traditional and, and modern. For instance, the palace, you may have noticed in the throne room, there was like a square of what looked like stone or dirt. Now, the idea being in some other shots, you can see that this was the top of a sort of like Mayan-style temple and that the palace the modern palace was built around that as like a skyscraper Mm. so so much thought that went into it and what i also found interesting was the color played a big part in this film's production so the color purple represents power and royalty and tradition in the sort of the heart-shaped herb and the you know the history of wakanda and where it began and also like the clothing of um killmonger's uncle in that he's like a wise sort of keeper of history uh the river tribe wear green linking them to sort of nature uh the dora milaje wear red to denote strength however the the color motif throughout the field that interested me the most was blue because kugler confirms that the reason he the way he used blue is he wanted blue to represent um colonization so any scene in which you see blue for example the um Killmonger's childhood apartment, all the walls are blue. His father's dressed in blue. 
He's wearing blue as a child. The scene within the London Museum is all shot through a blue tint. He's wearing a blue jacket. All the staff in the um, museum are wearing blue. The uh, van later on that he's in, that he breaks Claw out of prison from, it's a blue van. They they constantly wanted to sort of have this subconscious um, visual motif that the idea of any any sort of aspect of a colonised world or or someone who has been affected by colonisation would be wearing blue or sort of shot in blue. Um, also, that comes right back to the kid at the end of the film who asks T'Challa, who are you? He's wearing a similar blue outfit to the child um, Killmonger, and he also has the same hairstyle as him. Um, I just find it really interesting that these colours and these these thoughts, yeah, this much thought goes into it because without saying anything, it manages to sort of tell you these sort of, put these ideas across that, you know, sort of rich in the film. And I think it's just another way that filmmaker could, the filmmaking can present themes and ideas without saying them out loud. Mm. Love it. Interesting. George? <laughs> I'm going to keep my, my, I'm going to keep mine fairly short, but sweet. Um, but I'll be honest, sometimes when I struggle for a bit of trivia, I do just go up on IMDb. But for this one, I actually did research and I wanted to read up a bit more. And I wanted to find a fact that wasn't on IMDb. Who knows? Probably my luck it actually is on there. But I didn't find it on there. So Black Panther actually made his comic book debut, not in an actual Black Panther comic book issue. Uh, in 1966, he first appeared to Chala in Fantastic Four, issue number 52. Now, most people today, present day, assume that the Black Panther superhero was inspired by the obviously popular protest movement in America, the Black Panther or the Black Panthers. Um, actually, that. I learned this today. That's not true. The Black Panther Party, protest party, were formed in 1967, uh, one year after the Black Panther first appeared in comic books. And it got to the point just after J. Edgar Hoover, the FBI di um, director, called out the Black Panther Party to be to be a massive threat to security to the US at the time. Um, Marvel Comics had a bit of a panic at the time and they didn't want to be seen to be promoting uh, the Black Panther Party uh, decided to take a neutral stand and to try and avoid any sort of correlation between that party. Um, they actually briefly changed his name to the Black Leopard. And he reappeared in Fantastic Four issue 119 under a brand new name of the Black Leopard. And he was like that for about a good six, seven months before the... Um, the writers of these comic books decided, actually, no, that's a bad idea. We've sort of bowed down to politics a little bit here. We were there first. And then T'Challa re then, then renames himself the Black Panther. So there was a six-month period in the, in the 60s where he was the Black Leopard. That's, that's good. That's <laughs> strong. I like it. I like both. I think... I think George has brought it back to even. Oh, thank God, it's been a while. That has been, yeah. That, you went like three down, didn't you? Three in a row. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've been on a losing streak. Yeah, pulled it back, mate. Okay. <sighs> no, you can't do that noise. We're, we're drawing. 
It was a good, yeah, it was a good, good bit of trivia. That was good. Okay. That was good. I will admit it was a good trivia, but I just wanted to be too ahead. <laughs> I did like, oh yeah, no. <laughs> oh shit. Brilliant. Okay, cool. Now we're back to back drawing. To drawing. Again. Oh, no. um, George did get, take a two point lead here and then he shat the bed yeah. hard for like yeah. three weeks in a yeah. row. So. And, I, and I even had to beg one week for the point as well. That's very true. It's not yeah. been a good month. Contentious. No. Um, so uh, <laughs> thanks for listening, everyone. If you haven't already, I know we say every episode, please review or rate the podcast wherever you listen to it. It Honestly, it really does help us out and allows us to be found by a wider audience. So here's usually the part where I ask, where are we going next, Colin John Brain? I mm. have a feeling you already know. Uh, maybe. So, Colin, what are we... It's Avengers time, isn't it? Yes. I'll cut you off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you threw me off a little bit there, but it's fine. Oh, sorry. Not yeah. nice, is it, George? Oh, yeah. dear. Karma, baby. Oh, dear. Yes, um, it, you are yeah. correct. So by the directors of Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and Civil War, um, the Russo Ooh. brothers, the same writers too as well, old Marcus and McFeely. Mm. Yes. Avengers Infinity War. Thanos Infinity is War. finally here. That's got to be a long one, isn't it's it? It's quite long. I'm just the only reason I say that is because it feels like there's been not a whole lot of setup for oh, it. Yet. You'd be so surprised. Has to be a, okay. All the All right. chess pieces are in place. Colin, are you ready for Infinity War? Bring it on. Rob, is Colin ready for Infinity War? <laughs> no, mate. No, son. Are <laughs> <laughs> you <Okay>, ready? <laughs> Uh, so before we uh, say our goodbyes, maybe let's get Colin a little bit up to speed. Rob, I've, maybe a little bit of a challenge for you as well, because I certainly won't be able to do it probably. What Infinity Stones have we seen so far and where are they currently? Okay, <laughs> so we have seen... Loki's got one, hasn't he? Oh, maybe, maybe. Uh, Tesseract. Oh, Tesseract, okay. Um... Yeah, that is currently whereabouts. Last seen somewhat in unknown. the Asgardian. It was last seen in the throne room on Asgard. Mm, okay. But Asgard blew up, so who knows where that is. What else we got? The Reality Stone, which was the one that, um, the weird ether that old um, Malakif, the Dark Elf, was using in Thor the Dark World. That is currently with the Collector. They gave it to him in a post credit mm. sequence. And he was like, two down, one to go. Oh, yeah. Something like that. Or four to go or something. <laughs> um, what else the have we stone? got? The Mind Stone is in your favourite character's head. It's old Vision. It's in his Oof. forehead, mate. Um, it's in his forehead, isn't it? <laughs> it's in his forehead, mate. <laughs> it's in his ruddy forehead. Rob, can you say and it's in his forehead the- in the vein of um, Ulysses' claw, please? The, the mind stone is in his forehead. <laughs> I hope that shit gets ripped out of his forehead and we just see Vision get brutally Jesus murdered. Jesus Christ, Colin. Christ. Like Vision. Just does not like his cartoons <laughs> one bit. And the time stone is with Doctor yes. Strange. Okay, so that's yes, four. Yes, there's one more, but where we haven't seen this. and Oh, Power Stone is, um, was in Guardians of the Galaxy and it was okay. left with the Nova yes, Core on Xandar. And then there's, so that's there's one more. It's the Soul Stone, but we do not okay. know where that is currently. Interesting. Okay. So, well, I guess we'll find I out. I guess next we? time, baby. 
Is it? Do you say it's called Infinity War? Infinity War. Yeah. And that's not the end of Avengers. Is that the last Avengers? I'm not going to say anything. Nope. Okay, fair enough. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. not. <laughs> uh, Colin, say bye. Goodbye. Rob, say bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. Next time we meet, let it be in peace and friendship. This is as far as you're going to get tonight. It's such valuable stuff. All in a nice work. Sweet dreams, little friends. As always, we're not quite done yet. Uh, in a mid-credit scene, we'll go through both of them at the same time. T'Challa appears before the United Nations to reveal Wakanda's true nature to the world. Very similar to, I feel, the end of Iron Man 1. Yeah. Iron Man? Yeah. Got vibes from that. And in a mm. post-credit scene, Shuri helps Bucky Barnes with his recovery. Excited to see our Bucky again? I was actually, yeah. I mean, to be fair, that even just seeing that one little scene in that environment with him, I was like, man, I just want like a Bucky film where it's him just living in amongst that group for an hour and a half Fuck or something. Yeah. And we get to we get to dive into the, the lives of, of and a bit more character development from people. But I know that won't happen. He'll just pop up with a fucking shiny helmet on in the next film and we'll be cracking back on with things, you know? But um did like seeing him. And I also thought that, the mid credit scene was quite a good one as well for, for Chadwick Boseman. But like you said, it was very reminiscent of that Iron I think Man purposely we had. so, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was interesting of when this came out as well. It was 2018, a certain orange um, madman <laughs> was uh, president mm. of the United States. So I do feel like certain elements of his speech were making certain points, like you know, how brothers and sisters of this earth should treat each other. And the the particular one I remember in the cinema going, that's got to be a mm. dick, is the wise build bridges and the foolish build barriers because Trump and yep. his wall that he'd been trying to build, mm. um, it just it felt like it was a purposeful mm. sort of statement. Mm. Um, and it's a nice positive message yeah. to end on. But it does feel almost... Like the film ends with a kid saying, who are you, to T'Challa, and then the United Nations are like, yeah. who are you? <laughs> or like, what? What? Could, it seems like the, the same question but then don't you feel? I, and, I don't want to shit on the film right in the last second here, but don't you feel like T'Challa also gives the same face? On, uh, he gives the, he, this same little weird smirk to the kid at the end, then the credits yeah. here. And then he gives that weird little smirk to the United Nations and then the credits hit again. And it's like, it's almost the same scene <laughs> twice. That's just a compilation yeah. of him yeah. pulling that face. Yeah. And also Everett Ross is 100% giving him the fuck eyes. <laughs> oh, yeah. In that scene. He keeps coming back to Everett Ross when he's talking, when people are like, you, you know, Wakandans are farmers or whatever. And he just keeps cutting to Everett Ross. Or like, <laughs> smugly nodding as if he's got away with farting yeah, in a room exactly. full of dignitaries. Yeah. Oh, um, shit. George, just yeah. one quick question. Um, so obviously you run mm -hmm. cinema, um, and I don't, I can't really remember what year you started running that one. So I just, the question basically is, is how long has it been where you can watch these films in sort of you know the cinema that you run, as opposed to having to kind of go elsewhere to the other ones locally? Yeah. So or when did this come out? Did I say two thousand? 
This is 2018. I would have. You mentioned in Spider Man that you would walk in and watch people yes. experience uh, yeah. certain moments. Oh, okay. So it must be yeah, so, I was oh, definitely. Right, okay. I definitely had the cinema when this came out for sure. Um, and yeah, so there's like lots of little moments where I would, yeah, go in and see certain audience reactions. Um, one being the credit scene for homecoming with captain America, just sitting there talking about how patience is a virtue mm. for people who've just sat there for 15 minutes of, of a bunch of names. <laughs> um, so I tend to get to see these films maybe the night before the public do sometimes so you so you you do it then like on more solo or you and you I, and the crew I, rather I than try going in with and a i try and do it and... as solo as possible really interesting in, in the, the cinema. cinema that's crazy i, I like to <laughs> nice. have have it to myself like peewee herman <laughs> no no distractions um just me and the film and then i tend to watch it with the public as well because i like to get i like to hear people's reactions and things like that but um Interesting. Luckily for a film coming up, I did make the other decision of watching it with a group of staff. We all watched it one night and okay. um, it was one of the best cinematic experiences of my life because there were certain moments in this film where I, I I'm that, I'm that particular in the cinema um, when I do these screenings where I don't like anyone sitting in front of me, I don't even like to see heads in front of me. So I'll, I'll always be as close to the screen as I can. Um, and there was one point where compl- I've never done this before in my life, whether watching a film on my own, whether at the cinema or at home, I just got, I got up off the seat, my hands in the air and I just started cheering because I couldn't believe what I was. Oh no, 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 no. Cause I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And then I remembered thinking, oh my God, I've got about 10 people sitting behind me. And I looked around and everyone was off their feet. Even people who had only seen a, a few Marvel movies. And it's one of the, I, I will okay. never forget it because it was just an incredible moment of me thinking, I look like a right tit. And I look around and everyone's reacted the exact same way. And everyone's doing it. Nice. Rob knows nice. what moment I'm talking about. He has to. He has to. Sound, sounds like you work with a bunch of maniacs, no, to be honest. No, you, you will do the same at this moment. Yeah, really? Well, will I? Will don't, I, George? Don't overhype, <laughs> George. You know, you do this all the time. I know, I know he does it all I'm the time. I'm sorry. You never learn. It's the best thing you've I, ever seen. And then anything that you see afterwards can never yep. be as good as... Even earlier, like, when I said that I'd finished watching it and you're like, I can't remember what you said, but it was something like, you can't not love this one or something along those lines. <laughs> like, it's so aggressive. Jesus, I, <laughs> I, I get. I've been the same ever since I was a small child. My parents even reminded me this week that every time we'd go to the cinema, I'd get in the car and I'd be like, that's the best film I've ever seen in my life. And they said I would do that every single film. That's the best film I've ever seen. That's my favorite film. Um, and I, I've never... And that's why people don't take your your. That's why you don't take my recommendations seriously. seriously. Don't lump everyone into that. I'm not alone, that. mate. I'm not alone, man. <laughs> um, on that, thanks, mate. Um <laughs> Let's wrap this up. I do yeah. love you. I genuinely had the thought then for a minute. I know that George has <laughs> recommended stuff for me that I love and really put in my top five films of all time. And in my head, I was thinking, do I stand up for him? <laughs> or do I just let that sit? No, no, he he, he doesn't miss all the time, but um, he does like to say it's I like to I like to exaggerate <laughs> and I get passionate and about these things. When, yeah. And I, I, I know it I when I do it, it. I but I don't care. Everyone stay safe, stay well, stay nerdy. Bye.